3: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now that it's summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals, and you won't be sitting around waiting for that delivery to your front door or having to make a trip to the grocery store. If you're too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well, Factor is the answer. Skip that trip to the grocery store. Skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too while still getting flavor and the nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy and then get back outside and soak up the warm weather. And if you get hungry in the middle of watching pro wrestling, well, during a video package, you can... Throw a Factor meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, you're sitting down finishing the show, but with a meal you can feel good about eating. I have loved having Factor in my refrigerator. I eat primarily a vegan diet, and I love their options, but they've got options for everybody, including people who are on keto diets or people who are on... no special diet. There's barbecue sloppy joes, jalapeno beef mac and cheese, red pepper queso chicken, Italian sausage and sweet pepperonata. I think that's how you say it. Ancho live salmon and more. The selection is exciting every week when you get to pick out the meals that you want. They'll auto select meals for you that fit your category if that's easier for you. But you can easily customize what gets delivered to your house and even skip a week or two if you're going to be away or have a lot of dinner plans outside the house. It's so nice having these meals in the refrigerator knowing that they are dietitian approved nutrient-dense meals that are gonna leave you feeling satisfied. I can speak from experience. When I have a factor meal, I don't even think about snacking for hours afterwards. That's how satisfying they are. But they've got calorie-conscious options too for this summer in case you're trying to lose some weight. And if you're trying to put on some muscle mass or gain weight, they have protein-plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. If you've thought of going vegan but think it comes without taste or satisfaction, this is the place to start. My next delivery includes three bean vegan chili, vegan mushroom marsala, harissa, I think that's how you say it, braised garbanzo stew. The next week, my vegan options are peanut Buddha bowl, tomato roasted vegetable risotto, smoked tofu almond stir fry, and blackened tofu. Those are the meals I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. You can also round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with cold-pressed juices, shakes, smoothies, and more. So head to factormeals.com slash wade50. That's factormeals.com dot com slash fifty and use code wade fifty to get fifty percent off your first box. That's code Wade fifty at factormails.com slash fifty to get fifty percent off your first box.
0: With the Lucky Land slot, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Now, PW Torch and Spreaker bring you the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. It's time for
3: Wade's interview with one of Pro Wrestling's newsmakers. Five years ago this month, I interviewed former WWE creative team member Jason Allen. I broke the interview into two parts. One dropped on June 1st, 2018. The second one on June 8th, 2018. And we bring you both installments today on the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast Interview Classic for Sunday, June 11th, 2023. In part one, it was the 10th anniversary of his time in WWE in 2008. And he talked about life as a writer behind the scenes, how he got his job, what it was like on the first day, and how he adapted to the lifestyle, why it came to an end, and various fascinating anecdotes about the creative process and the big names he worked with. Then in part two, he talked about how he ended up realizing life as a WWE writer might not have been a good long-term fit for him, including a conversation on a plane with Mick Foley about the doubts he was having. Plus some insights into some happenings in WWE in 2008, including John Cena's poopy incident with JBL's limo, the Mike Adamly disaster, insight into Vince McMahon's quirky million-dollar giveaway on Raw, that was 15 years ago? Wow. And how people reacted internally to that. Also, did writers check out online reviews of their shows? how it was difficult to watch veteran wrestlers be a shell of their former selves backstage when the cameras were off, and much more. This is a fascinating interview. These uh, interviews that I conducted, uh, dozens of them with ex-WWE creative team members, always provide insight. You just can't get anywhere else. These are non-wrestlers. Kind of, they feel like outsiders a little bit sometimes in WWE. They're, uh, you know, uh, at times a close-knit group. Um, I know I've observed them just hanging out after matches together while the wrestlers are in a totally different zone. But these interviews give us a window into the dynamic that exists between non-wrestling or non-ex-wrestler writers and Vince McMahon and the wrestling the wrestlers themselves. So um, I think you'll really enjoy this, especially if you didn't hear it the first time. But even if you did, I know there's aspects of this interview I don't recall details of. And I, I look forward to listening to all of this again myself. Uh, so let's uh, let's do it together here. Here we go with this weekend's interview classic, again with Jason Allen.
5: podcast one
4: brings you the wade keller pro wrestling podcast it's time for keller's interview with one of pro wrestling's newsmakers
3: there's so many different ways that one could experience working in wwe and we hear from a lot of wrestlers and and announcers and sometimes referees even and ex-creative team members and today we have another uh guest on interview Friday here on the Wake Keller Processing podcast at podcast 1 and that is Jason Allen who worked uh, Jason what what would you say your official title was for your stint 10 years ago with WWE uh, at the time, we were
5: called writer assistants.
3: Yeah. And so uh, uh, Christian Harloff was on the show uh, earlier this year and talked about his short stays, a Podcast One host uh, covering movies. And he had a short stay in WWE, and, and we had a really fun conversation about that experience with him. And uh, then Jason uh, contacted me and said, well, I, I feel like I can have a, a, a similar experience to share, but at a different time. And I, I love hearing uh, about uh, situations like this, where somebody comes in, spends some time at the company, and then uh, is still a wrestling fan. Now, ten years—well, ten years later—we're get into how long you've been a fan and all that, and can uh, look back on that and, and talk about what the experience was like and, and share it with all of us. So, uh, Jason, uh, Jason Allen, thank you for taking time to join us today.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me, Wade. Excellent. So, well, what
3: I want to do is kind of just set the table a little bit on um, when when you first became a wrestling fan. And when it first entered your mind that uh, maybe you wanted to work for WWE and how in the heck you ended up being a writer's assistant back in 2008?
5: All right. Well, I mean, as far back as I can really remember, um, I remember being aware of wrestling and being interested in wrestling Um, as a child of the 80s. I mean, Hulkamania was just something you couldn't really escape. It was there. Everybody was talking about it. It was uh, there was there was no way to kind of avoid it because it was what everybody was into um i'd probably say my my most vivid first memory of wrestling um was the time that uh that undertaker locked ultimate warrior in the casket i remember that really uh kind of frightening me and sticking with me as as something that i didn't want to happen to me (laughs) at any point (laughs) and uh and it just kind of hung with me there and then um, all of my friends were very into it you know attitude era kind of time and uh I hung through it, you know, 2004, 2005, uh, had uh, had a lot of people, you know, um, oh, you're still into that. People still watch that. So pushed through that stuff. And I got into it, into it as a job because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I was going to college in South Florida and um, I went into my academic advisor's office and, and she's like, you know, why? Why are you here? What do you wish to accomplish in college? And, you know, I just said, uh, it, it seemed like the right place to go after high school. And, uh, yeah, I don't really know why I'm here. And she said, well, I tell you what, if you could, if you could do anything or if you could be anybody, what would you be? And I thought about it for a second. And I said, you know, I, I'd probably be Jim Ross. And I had to kind of explain to her who that was. And then she understood exactly what I was looking to do. And then, so I got into broadcasting and mass com and, and things like that. And, um, Finished up with a, a bachelor's in that. And, um, and then it was just a matter of, of getting WWE's attention. So I graduated uh, in December of 06, uh, and I started applying there pretty much immediately because I noticed that they always had writer positions open on the, uh, on the job board. And I would find out why later on. Um, but there was a, a writer assistant position there. And it was just daily. I mean, I would I would apply to it online daily. It got to the point where I was I was sending mailers and I was sending uh, certified letters. I was just grabbing random names that I could possibly think of. Uh, you know, uh, John Smith at WWE.com. John Smith at WWE Corp.com. You know, you know, just throwing everything I possibly could at the wall. And then... I bought my tickets, this was in February, I bought my tickets for WrestleMania 24 in Orlando, and about an hour and a half after I got that Ticketmaster receipt, my phone rang, and it was a recruiter for WWE, and uh, he said, uh, hey, you know, uh, first, uh, go ahead and stop with the resumes, we're good, we got plenty. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks for that. Are you still interested? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. You know, like you have a certified mailing from me a day ago. Yeah, I'm interested. And then he said, Okay, I'll call you back. And we kind of played this back and forth game for about three or four weeks. And then finally he calls me and he says, hey, we want to bring you up. Um, Can you be in Stanford, you know, on on Friday? I don't remember the exact date, but can you be up here? And I said, yeah, done deal. I'll be there at, you know, 8 a.m so i fly up, you know, one day trip, uh go in, do the interview process, meet with a few different people, uh fly back, get a call a few days later and they're like, you know, pack your stuff, guy, you're you're moving to to Stanford, you you get up here um you know, april 1st.
3: So at this point, you've got the what ru- would you call it, the runaround, or would you just call it a a process you had to endure and be patient during?
5: Uh, yeah, i wouldn't definitely i would definitely wouldn't call it the runaround. I yeah. d- I never felt like uh you know, like they were too busy or, you know, they wanted to just like keep me simmering or make me earn it or anything like that. It was more just, uh, you were waiting to see if this other guy layers out, you know, because there, because there's always, it's like, they, they never stop hiring for that kind of role, but they have to wait until there's an actual vacancy to bring someone in.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So you get the green light. And at this point, are you as excited as you imagined or are you Nervous that, you know, the, the proverbial dog catching the bumper. Oh, God, now I've got to go do this. Like, what was it's it's sort of like going off to college, but you're going off to Stanford. How, talk about your mindset as this dream finally came to fruition.
5: Yeah, I mean, I was very, very pumped. The thing that kind of made me uneasy was, you know, I'm moving a thousand miles away from home. And this is not a guaranteed gig by any yeah. means. This is not like a full time uh, salaried career with benefits and stuff where they know who you are and they want you to be there. This is a three month trial period. And at that point, if you're not cutting it, um, you know, you're done. And then, so now I'm a thousand miles away from home and I'm working just your basic job that I could have gotten at home. And I'm stuck in this long-term lease and stuff. And Uh, you know, so it was, I was definitely nervous in that aspect. I never doubted that I could do the job or could do what was asked of me. Um, I knew that I could succeed, you know, if my heart was in it. And, uh, so I went up there, you know, guns blazing, packed up what I could in my car and off it went.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: One way that you can help us sustain our schedule of putting out podcasts throughout the week is by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Just go to Apple Podcasts and look for our Wade Keller Processing Podcast and Wade Keller Processing Post Show and give us a five-star rating. We hope you think we've earned that score with our fast turnaround times and our quantity and quality of wrestling analysis throughout the week. So take a moment out for us and do us a favor and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. That helps us on search returns and helps us grow. And if you want, you can add a few comments about what you like about the programs in the comments section. Thank you so much. 18 plus. So what you, what kind of prep did they give you? I mean, I, and I'm, I'm interested in minutia, like dress code, um, how early to show up, who to talk to, like how much did they kind of have? Cause obviously they go through this with a lot of, a lot of writing assistants. So they, you've probably, probably felt like you're signing up for something that was a process and it was sort of refined. Did you get that sense?
5: Yeah, it definitely felt like there was kind of a there was a machinery in play where you got there and it's like, oh, okay, that's the new guy, and you stay the new guy until someone newer shows up. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I was told by the recruiter that you know, hey, you're going to be at TV um, two, sometimes three days a week. You got to wear suit and tie every time you're there. Uh, show up day one to TV, suit and tie. I'm the only one in that kind of stuff. Um, everybody else is nicely dressed, but definitely not, you know not as uh, as corporate as i looked at the time it was uh you know made very clear early on like okay there's there's a couple things that you're gonna that you're gonna need to know as far as our brotherhood so to speak and that is anytime you see somebody first time doesn't matter shake them shake their hand look them in the eye say hello good to see you some some guys like to be called by their character name some guys prefer this name um, so you start to pick up on those things real quick you know like like Undertaker is is Taker or he's Undertaker. He's you don't call him anything else, you know. And if um, you you approach him and you shake his hand and stuff like that, and you you don't show any intimidation, but you show respect. Um, and then there were different kind of I don't want to call them rules, but just different kind of mores for different guys. So you kind of pick up on those things as you go. And uh, I made the mistake of uh, of not shaking Dusty Rhodes' hand one time early on in the day. And uh, for the rest of the day, it was like every time I passed him, he'd look at me and he'd shake my hand and he's like, "Who are you again?" Uh, and uh, <laughs> so he definitely like he ribbed me for the next you know couple days about that. And uh, you know, it's it's just small stuff like that, stuff that you wouldn't really think of um, as being important, but it's important to that to that culture and to that family.
3: Yeah, interesting. So uh, if you remember, talk about a few of the other peculiar or particular ways that you had to approach. Talent, uh, or st- or high end staff like you know Dusty, uh, differently than others. Like, w- does anything else jump out in terms of okay, this is how you approach this guy, but th- don't do it with this guy. This is a different approach.
5: Uh, I mean, each guy kind of had their own vibe. You know, some guys were very involved in the in the process, and other guys were were sort of kind of off on their own doing their own thing. And uh, a lot of it had to do with their position on the card at the time. Uh, you know, Triple H and, and Sean would kind of, you know, hang off this to the side and, and, you know, talk business and, and work through their programs with each other, bouncing stuff off of them. So they weren't really involved with a person like me, you know, aside from me just going to get them and say, hey, we're going to do this pre-tape. Uh, Mid card guys were much more involved in, in the process with, with someone like me. Like I dealt a lot with uh, Santino and uh, Miz and Morrison at the time, uh, Shelton Benjamin, the legacy group. Um, those guys were much more uh, eager to kind of talk to me and bounce ideas off of me, even though, you know, I'm technically not really um, all that high on my own totem pole. Uh-huh. But, you know, I was I was accessible, whereas, you know, maybe some of the other guys weren't always available. You know, maybe, uh, you know, Brian wasn't available at the time or or a DJ wasn't available at the time. So they would kind of pass stuff through me. You know, I worked a lot with with Miz and Morrison when they were having their feud with Finley and and Hornswoggle. I mean, I remember sitting down with those four guys and and hammering stuff out for a little bit. So
3: let's talk just a little bit about that Walking in the door. You know you're supposed to shake hands with people. Are you given a place to go and an assignment on this first day? Are you told to just sit back and observe? Are you shadowing somebody? Uh, talk, Talk about that first day at TV. Okay.
5: Uh, so the the first day, it, there's not really a call time for me, so to speak, because I'm just kind of going with the school of fish, you know. So we're told, you know, be at the building by 12. And it's just I'm in a car with the other people that are going there at 12 o'clock. And we get in there. And um, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to set up the room for the production meeting. Uh, we're going to lay out sodas and and chips and stuff. And, and that's one of those other kind of nuances that you learn over time. You're like, okay, this guy has to have two Diet Cokes. And it's, <laughs> it reminds me a lot of like, uh, like those concert riders you hear about sometimes, whereas some people are like, you know, only green M&Ms. And And uh, no one was that that meticulous, but it was very particular that, you know, these certain sodas be here and no no vitamin waters and, you know, that kind of thing. So we would set up the room for everyone who's going to be involved in that kind of script reading and redrafting process. That would be the first thing we'd do. You know, that it's just a matter of, okay, here's a revision, here's a revision, here's a revision, handing out new scripts as they're as they're changed and you know going to a guy like Arne Anderson and he's like, oh my gosh, this is the ninth page you've handed me. you know, <laughs> how many more of these am I gonna have And, and you know him throw it yeah, not, not throwing, but him handing me the the existing one and oh here, take this away and him copying his notes over from one side to the other. Um, you know, so that was a big part of that uh, that sort of auxiliary person that writer's assistant person where you have creative input but on on the road at tv your primary role is to facilitate the creative process If you have a great idea by all means chime in but for the most part you know get the coffee get the copies keep people happy grab me this guy tell people to be quiet you know that kind of stuff so what how old are you at this point uh i think i was about i was 26 at the time
3: and so how what level of starstruck are you at this point and had you been around famous people that you saw on tv before and and how did you handle whatever those feelings were where it's like this is my job you know and, and look like you know act like you belong but you're also kind of taking a lot in that you've been watching all these years
5: yeah, it was a really weird thing for me because I thought that it would affect me a lot more than it did, but it 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 didn't have too much effect on me at all. <laughs> um and I think that had a, a part to do with my departure there, I think because the 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 quote-unquote reverence for the talent as far as being, you know, stars and stuff just really wasn't there for me. I mean, it was it was cool to interact with a guy like Triple H, you know, cuz he was Uh, A fan favorite, you know, a favorite of mine, you know, coming up through the Attitude Era. He was definitely one of my favorite wrestlers, you know. So meeting him for the first time was was interesting, but it was never like, oh, my God, tell me about, you know, tell me about Madison Square Garden with Cactus Jack. I have to know it. the thumbtacks hurt. You know, there was never anything like that for me. Um, I had a high level of respect for them and what they did. Um, But it was kind of like, you know, I appreciated my chance to sort of peek behind the curtain and I didn't want to ruin that by being a fan. Now, afterward, when you're not at TV or, you know, you're kind of like at the hotel bar afterward or you're in the elevator riding up to your room, you know, that's where you have those little candid moments where you can kind of be a fan just a little bit. you tell a guy like oh man you really nailed that promo i was that i was uh really into what you were saying and at that point you're saying it to him more as a fan than as a as a writer so there were little kind of snippets of that but there was never anybody not even with vince really where it was like oh my god i can't believe i'm in the same room right now with you
3: by the way, if you're enjoying this interview with Jason Allen, ex-WWB creative team member, if you're a VIP member, you can dive into our VIP member interview special section, which has nearly 100 interview installments with ex-creative team members, dating back to Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara in the late 1990s, all the way through some writers in recent years. Uh, there are uh, over a dozen ex-creative team members that I've interviewed, some of them many times about many different major events, Uh, getting background on how they got their jobs, some uh, crazy stories about Vince McMahon and other top stars. So if you enjoyed this interview with ex-creative team member Jason Allen,
4: go VIP! and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary. VGW void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. March through Pro Wrestling History with a PW Torch VIP membership. Throughout the week, every week, we jump back 18 years to our earliest podcasts. And you can march through our coverage of Pro Wrestling History With our contemporaneous coverage of all the major pay-per-views, Wade Keller hotlines with behind-the-scenes news, the Bruce Mitchell audio shows with in-depth current events analysis at that time, along with history lessons and strong opinions, the real deal with Pat McNeil with the Hot 5 Stories of the Week and the Indie Show lineup of the week, and more. Go VIP and relive wrestling history or learn about it for the first time as we continue to march through our 2005 library near the anniversary dates of when they aired 18 years ago on that date to become a PW Torch VIP member go to pwtorch.com/govip and sign up today all right so back to my interview with one time WWE creative team member Jason Allen he worked for WWE for 6 months back in 2008 so we're on the 10 year anniversary of his time with the company and we're talking about what it was like to be a guy in his mid twenties, getting his dream job after trying very hard to get in the door with WWE and trying to orient himself to that atmosphere, to the uh, to the company, which is you know not like a average workplace. So let's talk about the social mores on the writing team and and just some specifics. I know you mentioned uh, Brian and DJ. Elaborate for listeners on who they were. And and talk a little bit about how that structure worked. Did it feel welcoming? Did it feel territorial? Uh, get into kind of that aspect of it.
5: So when I got there, we had the three different shows that we were all writing for. We were writing for Raw, SmackDown, and ECW, and we were broken into teams. Um, they were they weren't official teams. Meaning, you know, if you had a really good pitch for a SmackDown talent and you worked with the Raw team, you couldn't. There was always an avenue for you to do that because, I mean, you're with these people constantly. I mean, we're talking 80, 90 hours a week. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're there with the people who are putting pen to paper and making these things happen. So it wasn't like anything was off limits. My official role was that I was a writer assistant for the Raw team, which meant uh, my direct boss would be uh, Brian Gwartz, who was the lead writer of Raw at the time. Um, on the SmackDown side, it was mostly um, <clears throat> it was mostly Michael Hayes, uh, DJ, who most people would know as Big Dick uh, Johnson, in his on-air role. Uh, DJ, uh, yeah, and then um, yet Ed Koski, who's still there. Um, those were the main backbone, and uh, Dave Kapoor was was huge, and and I really appreciated Dave because he was one of the ones that I kind of clung to the most, I think, out of that whole group, as far as, you know, what do I do? What do I say? Um, the other writer assistant there that helped train me, he was awesome too. And and he had been there for a, a couple months prior to me being there. So you really kind of had it, had, uh, you know, everything on lockdown and he was happy to have some support. So that worked out really well. But basically, I mean, you had those two teams and there were other Associate writers, you know, three or four on each team that that helped make it happen. But SmackDown and ECW generally kind of got grouped together because they were taped the same day, so that team was kind of one team. Um, Ed Kosky really kind of focused, I think, more on on uh, ECW, although he was very involved in producing a lot of stuff for both shows. He was constantly there, you know, right next to Vince, kind of going over shots and this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And of course, Brian, you know, Brian was. Was instrumental in everything that happened on Raw. Well,
3: t- talk a little bit about Brian Gortz. Uh, he, people people have a lot to say about him, even though he doesn't seek out much publicity. He's done um, a one or two interviews about his time there. Uh, very tight with the Rock. Uh, you're you're looking at this through the lens of somebody now in your mid thirties, looking back at that experience. Uh, what what did you pick up on in terms of? Uh, gewertz and the dynamic he had with other writers and mcmahon and did he seem like the alpha did he seem more Columbo like like kind of uh your guard could be down because he didn't give off a vibe of being important even though he was very
5: important so when i went up for the interview i first sat down with um uh, with the recruiter who had called me up to stanford and um we're talking and stuff and, and just a real basic, you know, who are you? Why do you want to be here kind of thing? And uh, and then he goes, uh, so I'm sorry, but none of the other people who need to talk to you are here today. And I'm thinking like, you know, I I I flew up here yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, definitely not like, well, why couldn't they be bothered for, to be here for me? But kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do now? And uh, he said, tell you what, we're going to we're going to pay for you to get a cab. We're going to send you down to the train station. There was one right down the street from the office. And you're going to ride into Grand Central. And uh, then you're going to walk six blocks this way and four blocks that way. uh, Go up to the, you know, 17th floor and and Brian will be there. And so, you know, like I'm not some, you know, naive child, but I had never been to New York City. So (laughs) I I, I go through all of those motions. I go up there and, and then there's Brian behind the counter. And um, I mean, the first my first impression was like, you know, this guy's um, this guy's kind of quiet. He seems like, you know, he he seems uh, sort of to himself, kind of lost in his own thought from time to time, Uh, but extremely sharp. Um, He had a very good rapport with with everybody that I encountered. Uh, I never got the vibe that Brian was uh, above anybody or above anything else, even though he was extremely influential backstage Um, certain guys would would definitely cling to him in that sort of rock type relationship Um, you know like cena he would work closely with cena as far as verbiage Uh, he and jericho worked extremely close together from what i could see during the jericho's whole summer program with michaels like every beat of that story came out of the two of them just kind of sitting in the writer's room and and hammering that out what are we going to say what are we going to do uh, and I think that's important, you know, especially for, for talent to establish their own voice and not just take what's written on the page. Because, you know, sometimes what we would write is, you know, it captures the, the bullets of what needs to happen, but it doesn't speak in their narrative or in their voice. Um, and Jericho was really important in getting that program to work. But, I mean, Brian, <sighs> Brian was often handed, uh, you know, unsolvable problems with the task of making them work. Um, we would often be in the writer's room uh, on a Wednesday, for example, and we've just done two TVs, and you know people are kind of a little bushed from the road, and we're sitting around kind of debriefing what happened, where we're going, and then Brian would walk in after he just had an hour-long meeting with Vince, and mm-hmm. then he would drop this bomb on us. <laughs> hey, this is what we're doing. How does this, how do we make this work? You know, that's that's how the Adam Lee thing came about is he just came in and he was like, so Mike Adam Lee is going to be the GM of Raw. And we just kind of all sat there with our jaws on the floor. And it's like, <laughs> OK, so that's what we're doing. Uh, same kind of thing with the uh, the championship scramble. Like he had to come in. That was the uh, the main event for two of the sh- or two main events for the Unforgiven pay-per-view. Like it was a brand new concept and he had to come in and basically pitch it to us. Um, because this, had, this was an idea that I think Patterson had come up with and it came down the pipe that this was something we were going to do. And it's like, okay, well, like, how do we, how do we get there? So Brian would be handed these things where it's like, Hey, you got to work slim Jims into the script or whatever. And he would come in and his job was to kind of motivate us to get the best out of us so that we could make those ideas that were coming down sometimes from advertising, sometimes from vents we can make those things work in a storyline context. Um, but he was, I mean, extremely dedicated. He's one of the hardest working people I think I've ever met. And he carried a lot, a lot of that burden, you know, on his shoulders. And uh, at times, you know, it would seem like it, it, it warmed down a bit.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it, it, a little sidebar, because I this is fascinating. You really enjoy talking about this aspect of behind the scenes in WWE. What was social life like? Well, you know what? Let me actually, for the sake of listeners, because I know a little bit about this, but I haven't had you talk about it yet. How how long did you stay there? Let's actually kind of cover how long you were there and why you left. So we kind of know where the end point is. And then we're going to fill in um, that period with some more stories. And I've got some follow-up questions. But um, let's actually go to that now and and talk about um, the date you started, what you kind of remember was going on storyline-wise then. And then how long you were there and what led to your departure. And I'm sure that's kind of a pretty uh, big part of your story. So go ahead with that now. And then I'll ask those other questions.
5: Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I started, like I said, so I bought the WrestleMania 24 tickets. And, uh, when I went there to, to watch the show in Orlando, I knew that I would be joining this team. And I was, I was basically leaving. My car was packed waiting for me to come back home. Um, and, and drive out that next Monday. So I went in there, uh, and started Tuesday after, after mania 24 and the guys were still out on the road. So it was just me, you know, and I'm, I'm walking around the halls and stuff, um, uh, in, in Stanford. And, and there's just these, you know, really great pay-per-view posters everywhere. And I go in the writer's room and there's toys all over the place, you know, from, from guys who like had an action figure made, but then they never got signed. So it's like these one off toys. And, uh, and I went in to meet Stephanie cause she wasn't there when I first started or when I came up for the interview and, uh, Stephanie's like seven months, eight months pregnant at this point with her first child. And, uh, she comes up to me and she's just so sweet and so, so nice. And she's like, Oh hi, I'm so nice to meet you. Look, I swear I'm not a diva and I'm not like this, but I need a blueberry muffin right now. <laughs> so that was my first official task was to run oh, wow. myself down to the donut shop and, and get Stephanie a blueberry muffin. Uh, so there
3: are, there are times I absolutely wish I could just shout out, "I want a blueberry muffin," and I would have one uh, you know 20 minutes later.
5: <laughs> that would be really yeah. nice.. <laughs> yeah, so, so there was that, and yeah. then I worked all through that summer. So we did, I think, six or seven pay-per-views in the short amount of time that I was there. And pretty much right after uh, Unforgiven, which was September seventh, um, I remember going down and taking the walk to HR uh, on September eleventh, two thousand eight. So uh, a relatively short stint. Uh, I did my three-month tenure, and uh, they extended me on a month-to-month basis, and. And uh, just kind of learned over time that this wasn't, you know, a long-term lifestyle for me.
6: Do you remember when Hulk Hogan shocked the world and formed the New World Order? Or when Stone Cold Steve Austin passed down on the sharpshooter to Bret the Hitman Hart? I'm Torch contributor Frank Petiani, and I've reviewed these shows and many more for my exclusive VIP podcast, Pro Wrestling Then and Now. Together with a rotating chair of co-hosts, we go back 10, 20, even 30 years, review pay-per-views from top to bottom, talk about where the wrestlers were at the time, and compare what took place then to what is taking place now you get exclusive access to these and other podcasts as part of your pw torch vip membership which is compatible with the apple Podcasts app visit pwtorch.com govip go vip for details and sign up for them
5: talk
3: about the, the, the lifestyle the social life for the writers relative to other people who work for WWE um, and even within the writing team, you know, how, how that is a little bit different. How, uh, how, how do you look back on that period of time that you were on the road and, and living that very different schedule than I think most people experience?
5: I think it really depends. You, you, you buy into the lifestyle to your level of comfort, I think. Um it's very much when people would ask me, you know, what's what's it like? Uh why aren't you there? You know, I would kill to have that job, that kind of thing. Um to me it's very much like being in a rock band where, you know, you go to a venue, you set up, uh, you do the show, it's eleven thirty, you go back to the hotel and everybody's at the hotel bar. And then, you know, if you're not if you're not really part of that, it's it's very easy to find yourself um I don't want to say blackballed because that's the wrong term, but you're just you come across as like, well, he's not one of us, you know, and and I tried to do that. I tried to be that person for a while, you know, not necessarily with the heavy drinking, but just I tried to, you know, play into that part and and be that person. And I found out that it really wasn't for me um, because social wise, that's it. Like, that is all you have. You have the people around you. And you're flying on planes and and riding in cars constantly with uh, with the writing team. Sometimes, you know, you have a talent in the car with you um, if they didn't have a car or something like that. And I mean, that really becomes your family. And you kind of look you kind of look above you at at some of the other people that are there. And you're like, you know, uh, do they have families? Do they have kids? If they do, do they ever see them? You know, and and that was really what started to kind of eat at me, not because I had that stuff, but because I wanted that stuff. Um, I went up there, you know, solo person, you know, yeah. didn't know anybody, anything or, you know, no one was entitled to my time except for me. And uh, the social circle small. Like I never developed any friends when I was in Stanford because there was no time. You You come off the show and like I said, it's 1130 when Raw goes off the air and you get back to the hotel and you're just – like you're jacked on adrenaline and stuff because it's it's fast moving and stuff changes and crap hits the fan and, and you're just on edge you know so you might not get to bed until three o'clock four o'clock um get up the next day 10 o'clock and and you hit the venue at 11 and then you're there until midnight again and then maybe you catch a plane maybe you don't maybe your plane's at 7 30 in the morning and. You know, you get home long enough to wash your clothes and put them right back in the suitcase. And, you know, I, I don't mean to come across like, you know, this grizzled road veteran because I didn't do it for that long, but it's yeah. it's a it's a grueling schedule.
3: Well, yeah, it's either something that you love and, and want to keep doing, but if it's something you don't, it doesn't make any sense to, to make that your life. You know, what I mean, and and well, did, did you, as you're kind of going through this and you say you didn't really create friends or develop friendships, but... From a camaraderie standpoint with the other writers, did, was there time to talk about that aspect of things, the things that are going through your head, which is, is, is this something you guys want for a long time? Is this a sustainable way to live your life? Do you have families? Do you see families? Or did, was it not really in that, even in that six-month span, wasn't there an opportunity to get to know other writers in that way as I came and went?
5: Um, well, yeah, I don't want to make it seem like, like people weren't friendly there, or that relationships didn't blossom. Um, What I mean is like outside of the WWE circle, for me anyway, there was no one. There were the people that I lived with, but I would barely see them. And uh, I really, really lucked out when I came up to Stanford because I managed to find uh, an apartment with three other guys, one of which who happened to, to work for the company at the time, and he's still there now. Uh, at the time, he worked in their uh, their .dot com, you know, and he would be on the road every once in a while doing interviews and stuff like that. He was working under uh, Joey Styles at the time because Styles had taken over the .dot com responsibilities, and and, sure. uh, and and he's still there. So he would occasionally kind of like, you know, want to know what's on my mind and stuff, so that he could organize his flow around what's coming up. So like if if you know, I kind of let on that we might have a ladder match in the works, he could get a bunch of ladder match clips hooked up. Um, So he was really passionate about his job, but he was, you know, more of an office type person. So our schedules didn't line up at all. You know, I might randomly see him from time to time. And you develop friendships with the writing staff. Absolutely. Because you're not just talking wrestling all the time. You're shooting the the crap about normal stuff. You know, all of us were like comic book fans. So when Dark Knight came out that year, we were all really pumped to see it and talk about it when – you know, when it was over. And Ed Kosky in particular was like, had this countdown in his office where (laughs) every day it was like, pull off a sheet, you know, because he was this really big Batman fan. I thought that was so cool, you know, that he would share that with us. But as far as I remember, I mean, none of us really sat around talking about like, yeah, do I want to do this when I'm 40? Or, you know, man, I really wish I could settle down. Uh, I think like, you know, I had those thoughts in my head and and uh my my work started to reflect that, uh but no one really talked openly about that because it was almost like you know once you cross that line, mm. like you you're you're dead to them, you know, because clearly you're not you haven't bought it at that point if if you have any doubt at all, then you need to just go. yeah, that's kind of my vibe from Th- it
3: that that's interesting, yeah, like just bringing it up um could. Mark you as somebody who was thinking about things that you're not supposed to think
5: about yeah that, yeah, yeah exactly exactly yeah like you're either you're either a road dog and you're in it to win it and you're in it for life or you're a guy who's gonna be gone quick and you know just based on on some interactions you could tell that that happens a lot you know like when I first got there uh, my first day at TV uh, JBL takes out his cell phone he takes a picture of me and uh, he's like you know why I'm doing that and I said no I don't he goes, it's so I can remember your face when you're gone next month. <laughs> That's very JBL, yes. Yeah, so it was just like you could tell that there was it was quite a revolving door and it wasn't just with me, you know, like looking looking at the product now and the last six months of, of you know, TV now and looking at that six months, we introduced a lot of talent that didn't cut it in that short amount of time. I mean FCW was dumping guys out pretty quick. They weren't spending the amount of time there that they do in NXT now. They were coming out and they were still kind of raw dough. So there were guys that we debuted and guys who got fired in, within my time span.
4: In 2012, NXT transitioned into the developmental system and ultimately the brand you see today. On the Torch VIP podcast, NXT Eight Years Back, we'll be taking a weekly look at this page in NXT's early history.
3: Join Kelly Wells and me, Tom Stout, from PWT Talks NXT every Saturday as we go eight years back to the day to track NXT's rising talents and why they did or didn't work out exclusively for PW Torch VIP members.
5: Let t- talk about some of those names who come to mind uh like the first one that comes to mind is uh brayden walker you know, he, <laughs> oh god yes he he came and went in that short stint um ricky ortiz kind of came and went in that time frame um man let me think of who else was in that group i remember you know dusty would come in and he would tell us about these guys and what he thought about them and and uh You know, Justin Gabriel was part of the part of that FCW group at the time. Uh, Jack Swagger was in that group at the time, and they didn't necessarily debut in my window. But um, like R-Truth came in right around that same time that we were there. I remember sitting around for like a whole couple hours on on a Saturday when I was washing my laundry, trying to come up with a cool name for R-Truth because he didn't have one at the time. Uh, Paul Burchill kind of like came and went, it seems like, in my in my time frame. His it, Katie Lee Burchill came and went in that time frame. Uh, uh, Tiffany on ECW seems like she kind of came and went in that time. Bam Neely debuted and then disappeared. Um, so a lot of, I mean, they were throwing a lot of different stuff at the wall at the time, you know. And um, it's just interesting to see how it's changed now and how when they come up from NXT, like, you know, when, when Aleister Black comes up, it's not a question of if he makes it. Like, it's a question of how long does it take him to get to the title, <laughs> Um, where, whereas it's just not the case with these other names I'm bringing up.
3: I, I had to look up uh, Bam Neely. I, I like I see his picture now on Wikipedia. I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of remember him. But uh, yeah, you're right. It, that was a time of uh, introduction and turnover. So, well, let, let's talk about that. When you're when uh, wrestler is introduced on uh, to the show that you're writing on, what kind of direction are are you given, or structure is there to framing that wrestler and presenting them and writing for them from the perspective that you have in that company and what your role is like when a new guy comes up do you get a sheet of paper with bullet points here's what we like here's what we're trying to do to get him over let's write
5: something for him how does that work the, the one of the only ones that i was mainly involved in was the Braden walker deal and uh he came in to the writing room and sat down with us and we basically just kind of all pitch things back and forth, you know, who are you, what's your name? Uh, you know, what do you do? You know, who, you know, what's your motivation? Okay. So you're kind of this like lone guy that just sort of walks through life. And, you know, um, so in that regard, we're all pretty much on board with, you know, what the, what the voice is supposed to be. And, um, you know, what, what his motivations are. And a guy like Ricky Ortiz would be more like, okay, this is, you know, party guy, he throws out these towels. Um, and that was, (laughs) I mean, that was pretty much it for Ricky Ortiz. And a, a lot of these guys really didn't get to talk a whole lot. So you basically just, you, you worked, you worked your creative off of what you'd seen so far. Um, I can't remember a time where anybody said like, Okay, Paul Birchall is is this, this and this. So, right. It was kind of like it was more along the lines of, hey, we have to get to here. We have to get to Birchall versus um, Brian Kendrick. So you got three weeks. Give me your best. And and that was how the how the process worked. We didn't really touch on it before, but at least when I was there, we would all write the whole show as though we were Brian or we were Ed. And we would turn those in to Brian or Ed as our segments, and we would pitch the whole show. It's open is it a cold open? Is there a graphic? What happens? Who comes out? Does their music interrupt? Um, you know, well, what would you match. say?
3: We would write the whole show. You mean each writer wrote a separate show, or collectively, you guys got together and wrote a whole show to present?
5: Yeah. So each writer would write their own version of next week's Raw or wow, next week's okay. SmackDown, and and then we would turn that in. So I had eleven segments. Because uh, raw was uh, you know two hours at the time, uh, I've, I I don't wish the Good three hour life. thing upon anybody. Oh yeah. Um, so we would turn that in, and it would be like okay, you know, here's how I established my main event in segment one, and then here's what we're doing in the crossover. It's going to be a Cena promo. Um, he's going to say A, B, and C, um, and then here's the main event. Here's the finish. I mean, yeah, really just booking it out completely as though we were. We were the booker uh, who, who comes out, who says what, um, you know, the swerves, all of that. And then uh, Brian would work with all of our material and kind of Frankenstein something together with his own ideas and his own agendas that he knew that he had to push. And with guys that he knew that he had to get hot for certain stuff that we might not be privy to at the time. I mean, it was it was all very open. There was never any time where something happened and I was like, oh, Wow. Yeah, I feel like I was left in the dark about that. Um, we all knew. I mean, with aside from like uh, what was what happened in the draft, we all learned about a lot of that stuff the day of. Uh, especially Jr., who, you know, he didn't he was that's a shoot. He did not know that he was going to SmackDown, uh, but Triple H did. So wow. there was there was never anything like that where it was like. I would write something and they would say, no, 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 no. Okay, don't do that because he's not going to be here in six months or anything like that. Yeah, Uh, we were all encouraged to pitch in ways that were uh, exciting and, you know, slightly like I would I would take that opportunity to pitch stuff that that made sense. But I also knew that I was kind of an outlier. So I would take some chances here and there with stuff that, you know, might be a a little bit past the envelope not so much in like a pg-13 setting but just like well that's kind of a zany story you know maybe maybe they won't buy that but if they do then i'll know it's mine you know so that was kind of a neat part about that is that everybody had kind of an equal voice at least until you turned in your paper you know to the teacher at the end of the day and then uh the raw script comes out and you see if anything that you wrote made it
7: longing for some nostalgia or maybe you want to learn some wrestling history don't miss the 90s past cast every friday on the pw torch daily cast feed alex and patrick will transport you 30 years into the past by taking you through the torch issue from that very week follow news from the wwf and wcw and all the happenings from across the wrestling industry in real time as the torch reported it 30 years ago that's the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch daily cast feed.
3: What uh, what uh, was your perception or idea of how WWE TV got written before you got there and how much did the process in reality differ from that?
5: I assume that the writing team was a lot smaller than than what I thought. I thought you were going to say smarter. I <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that's a dig."
3: <laughs> you drew out the no.
5: smud. And I was like, "Wow, where, where are we going here? All right, go ahead." <laughs> no. No, I really assumed that it would be more like, you know, four or five guys, Vince and a a couple dudes who uh, you know, got the coffee and made the copies, and I was going to be the coffee copy guy. Um, that was what I thought. You know, I got there and it was more like a team of G's 16 something like that. I mean, there were there were a lot of us, um, and then we added on to the team as we went. When they brought in, uh, they brought in Freddie Prince and uh, Freddie's friend. Was that what he's uh, <laughs> no, he was known as? No, okay. He, he had a he had a name, and I can't remember it right now because he just told us that he goes by Fonz or Foz, something like that. Okay. So that was ju- that was just his name, but that's funny. It was I mean. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like the guy definitely got the job because he knew Freddie, but he absolutely pulled his weight. And I think a lot of us expected that he would just kind of be there to be that fan and and really kind of just be starstruck. But he absolutely both of those guys worked their asses off and and really pulled their own weight, contributed a lot of really good ideas. Uh, but I never dreamed that you know the writing team would be twenty people, you know, yeah. contributing to this, and and that each each one of the head writers would have to sift through seven or eight you know, like 12 page versions of raw and, and try to pick out stuff that's good so that we all feel creatively justified and, and encouraged and patted on the back. Um, which is, uh, you know, I guess not all of us needed that. Some of us did, some of us didn't. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a task, you know, to kind of sift through all of that and and try to keep it straight in your head, but then also remember what you've got cooking on the back burner in your own mind, uh, as far as where you need to be. And, You know what's what's the main event of WrestleMania 25, and and how do we keep from destroying that in (laughs) in in these 12 months? Because like the day one I get there and there's you know everybody's laid out their WrestleMania 25 dream cards and top main event on everybody's Cena Batista, Um, you know, and then it's like we get to Great American Bash and people are talking about let's do Cena Batista. Mm. Uh, It actually ended up happening at SummerSlam. It was just like like i was like well wait we we can't do that that's the plan you know that's we're doing that and then it's like well you know the edict comes down from the top well when we do it the second time it'll be for the title so it'll be different and uh it was just like you know you had the you tried to make these long-term arcs but then somebody would get hurt or something would happen and it would all fall apart and it would just like it, it was it was a constant kind of like like hurry up to fall behind kind of thing
3: when you're writing the TV shows with a team, uh, and this is something that traditionalists and different types of fans have is, have uh, curiosity about, if not issues with, is how much did you feel that you and the writing team were writing a TV show? Because you talk about, well, you know, we're not just writing a TV show to, that's self-contained. We've got to think about the payoff at the end. And that's different than writing... It's, it's some, somewhat similar and somewhat different than writing a, a weekly series, you know, a scripted drama or something like that. Yes, there's a climax to a season and that kind of thing. So that's similar, but you're trying to keep an eye on all these other revenue sources. Um, and so when you look at it now and, and when you look at it then, and if there's differences, explain that. Did you see yourself collectively as wrestling bookers who had a TV show that helped you book matches and promote matches, or did you see yourself as? TV writers with kind of a peripheral eye on, oh, that's right, we're we're writing a TV show, but ultimately we make money when these wrestlers fight each other at arenas on weekends, and we always have to have our eye on that pay-per-view. And so is there sort of drawing from wrestling booking history more or how to write a TV show more because this
5: is sports entertainment, not pro wrestling? Does that kind of make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I think I get the question, um, and I'll try not to stumble in answering it. Um, I always looked at it more as, as we're bookers and we're, we're trying to make these matches exciting. And a lot of the time we would have three, four, six weeks out where we wanted to end up. We would work with these grids a lot that would help us kind of storyboard out things and tentpole things um, to remember you know, where we've been, what happened, how long ago that was. Um, we would use those for our story notes that we would put into the into the scripts for the commentary team. We'd have each match would have a little box, you know. On, this was a, one of the main functions of the writer assistant in the scripting format was uh, we'd have a, a box on the side of each match and, and oh, have four or five bullet points. You know, this guy, um, you know… Um, and Matt Hardy is a you know two-time former U.S. champion or something like that. Um, I remember coming up with one stat one time where it was it was a fatal four-way going on and there were like fifty some odd uh, championships all told between the four guys, you know, and put that in there and, and Jr. dropped that, so that was like one of my little oh, that's my thing. Um, but I looked at it more as as we we booked we booked the territory in the sense of this is what we want to happen. Um, these are the matches that we feel are exciting. Now, why are they fighting? Or what's, what's an interesting reason that hasn't been done, uh, you know, maybe ever, if you're super creative or just not in a long time? And then you also have to fall into certain, certain confines of, well, we can't do that because of this, this, and this. Or, uh, you know, they did that in WCW back in 92, and we, so we're not going to do that. Uh, You know, something along that line. So you might come up with a really good idea and not realize why you like it so much. It's because it already happened somewhere back in your childhood. Then it's it exists in your memory bank, but it's not there. I never I never wrote with the mindset of being a TV writer because I wasn't privy to those conversations on, you know, we have KFC coming on as a partner and we need to have we need to, you know, drop references to chicken into this match. You know, (laughs) yeah, so. So, I would never write in like a like a cane versus versus a chicken kind of match because that wasn't where I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be focused primarily on you know main event stuff and then you would get little assignments, which was really cool, you know, where they would say to you, uh, okay, Jason, you know, why don't you book out the next two months of TV for these three talents or book out the next three months of talent for for uh, you know, the women's division, something like that. And you would lay out this massive story arc and you'd bring it to them. And, uh, you know, maybe they like parts of it. Maybe it helps spur them in an idea. And when I say them, I mean, you know, the brain trust sort of, you know, Brian, and Dave, Kapoor, um, who was Ranjit Singh, for those who don't know. And he was still working as Ranjit Singh at the time. So he was kind Hallie's, of pulling double great duty. Great handler. Yeah, exactly. Kali's yeah, yeah. mouthpiece and uh, and, you know, Bruce Pritchard's there, and he's chiming in with his ideas and stuff. and uh, you know, uh, Michael Hayes. I mean, it was it was a really animated group. And I mean, you laugh your ass off just kind of hanging around those guys because they've seen so much and they're they're really, really funny, and uh, they're not afraid to uh, to kind of to tell you that an idea is good or take a dump all over it, you know, whichever they feel is appropriate. and And I appreciated that honesty. But to, I mean, get back to the question in a super long winded format, I always looked at, at our role as the bookers who would say, you know, guy A fights guy B because of reason C. Here's how it ends. Here's where you go next week, and so on. And, and that was kind of, you develop your characters through that. So you do have a long term arc, and you have an idea of we want to make this guy more sinister, and he's going to do these things to become more sinister so that we can identify with his turn. And we understand now, you know, that he's a he's a true heel because he's doing these horrible things. But he thinks he's right because of this stuff that happened two months ago. Mm -hmm. And when you can pay that stuff off as a storyteller, you feel great. But I never thought of myself as like I'm writing episodes of, you know, Lost or whatever. And I have to get I have to write 12, 12 episodes and then have this massive payoff. I mean, the payoff is always the pay-per-view but that's not the end and the beginning for every storyline that you're working with. So some arcs are like kind of overlapping each other. Some guys are working with multiple people. Um, that whole summer, you know, edge was working mainly with undertaker, but he still had all these other little feuds on the side. Like he, he had his whole arc with Vicki Guerrero falling apart and, and uh, Alicia Fox coming in. And then at the same time, edge is trying to be a spokesperson for slim Jim. And he's trying to get uh, Hawkins and Ryder over and, You know, he has all these other things that are going on. So in my mind, I never wrote it as in, you know, where is Edge going to be in in 12 months? It was more like, where is Edge going to be in a month? And then where is he at after that? And where is he at after that? And why does he care? Why is he mad? You know, why is he happy? Does he want the title or does he just want to beat Undertaker? You know, like those are questions that I would ask myself to try to try to put myself in that character's headspace and come up with something that I could put on a sheet of paper and say, This is where I want to go versus just having this idea that I can't communicate.
1: Searching for more great pro wrestling talk? Then join me, Jason Powell, host of the free weekly Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net along with other pro wrestling media members. Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on in iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps, or visit us directly at PWBoom.com. Once again, that's PWBoom.com.
4: Now, it, it, going
3: back to you said you know, had a deal that was done at WCW in 92, that kind of thing. It, I, I'm curious... Um, with you and the writers uh, at all the levels of the writing team and even Vince McMahon and you know, Pritchard and Hayes, was was history revered? Like y- you would find moments where you would be judged if you didn't know about something that happened in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s or know who a wrestler was. Or in talk about angles, did you go, hey, remember when Terry Funk did this and or Bill Watts did that and that worked Um or the Von Eric this like did, were there references to history, and was this a group of people who just had a passion? Or, on the flip side, was history sort of scorned? Like, Vince doesn't like that, because we're doing something different. Wink, wink, or no wink. You know, like, we're, we're not in that business. We're in a new business, and we're doing this. Because I, I still think of that moment when Vince looked at Steve Austin on the Stone Cold podcast on WWE Network a few years ago, and he just looked at Steve and said, things are different now than when you were there. We're doing sports entertainment. We're a publicly traded company. And there is that feeling like that Vince creates maybe almost an artificial, unnecessary distance from the legacy and history of his industry, at least selectively, not on Hall of Fame weekend, um, but otherwise. So t- talk about that as somebody who knew wrestling. How much did the other s- staff know wrestling and-, and talk about it?
5: I feel like a lot of that was more sort of a, a reverent nostalgia, that we had for that kind of stuff. You know, we would kind of pitch it, we'd pitch stuff like, you know, something were to happen, and you'd say, you know, kinda like, hey, do you remember when Earthquake squashed Damien? Like, you remember how everybody was so upset about that? Yeah, we want to do something like that, you know, and but not that. And and it was very particular that you don't, you know, we didn't want to replay our greatest hits or fall back on things like that. We we would have a list of gimmick matches and and like run-ins and all of that how like we would go through i remember putting together one list one time for brian and it was give me the last 12 gosh what was it last six months or something like that of how raw went off the air because we want to do something different than what we've ever done in that time frame oh wow so we would keep we'd keep like a table of okay this is the last time we did a last man standing match this is the last time we did a ladder match. And you would have certain kind of cool down periods between there. And there and there wasn't like a written rule book that said you could only do, you know, one first blood match a year or anything like that. But you would look back and, and you, it would seem like, OK, that's a cool idea. Um, but then you just did one kind of two and a half months ago or something. And then it's not so cool anymore because the novelty hasn't had time to sort of rebuild.
3: I, I and, love, um, yeah, I love that. That's that's cool. That that was on your that on the radar, and the effort was made to to be creative and and break from habits, I guess, or or uh, being in a rut, or just bringing something back you sort of forgot you hadn't done in a while.
5: Yeah, so that was one of my very first assignments, that raw thing that I brought up to you because right right when Brian came in that Wednesday, he was like, "I've got an idea for something to do next week on Raw, or the week after on Raw," because the first week I was there. Um, that was the week that they did King of the Ring and Regal went over and uh, had this massive eight man, like basically a who's who of WWE at the time was in this main event. So it was that was kind of a, a one of those starstruck moments where it's like, you know, my gosh, like I'm backstage. I'm watching this match, you know, just outside of the gorilla position. And it's, you know, the, the eight biggest names in the business right now, you know, just doing their thing. You know, and it was cool. Okay. It was it was like that was like one of those times like. Yeah, you know, like, I'm supposed to be here, and this is good. Uh, But what he wanted to know was, how did Raw go off the air? Because he wanted to do this angle with Regal, uh, basically, like, pulling the plug in the production truck the next week. And he just wanted to know, like, when's the last time we went off the air without a match? Without, you know guy a beats guy b celebrates off the air you know that kind of thing um and that ended up being one of the more memorable moments i mean for a lot of people in that time frame you go back to like the message boards and people still kind of talk about you remember that time that regal went to the truck and he like choked the director and pulled the plug out and the show went off the air it's like yeah i do that's that's kind of cool so that was one of those things where it was like there was always there was always an emphasis on doing something new or spinning something in a new way. Uh, But behind the scenes, there was an absolute reverence for, yeah, that guy right there, that guy's a little bit Rick rude. He's a little bit Jake, the snake, you know, and you'd kind of describe him to other people in that way so that they could instantly kind of cling on to what you were, you know, where you wanted to go with that character.
3: Yeah. Uh, Dean Ambrose, a little Brian Pillman, a little Roddy Piper, you know, like that. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly, try, exactly. Yeah, trying to figure Cause, out cause, what, what somebody is and where we should go with them and what they remind you of.
5: Yeah, because we all know, like, how those guys made us feel, you know, yeah, and we, yeah. we, we're we all familiar with the character. It's like required reading, you know, but there was never a time that I encountered somebody and they were like, oh, you know, you, you never saw... Uh... <laughs> You never saw uh, Jared or Gerald Briscoe, you know, tap out the Iron Chief or whatever. You know, <laughs> right. like there was there was never anything like that. If you knew about it, you could find the right circle and you could you could talk about it and have a good time because it was always time for that. Um, but it wasn't, you know, no one ever looked down on you because as long as you knew the current product and you had a good understanding of what was going on, where we've where we've been in a broad sense and where we're going in a broad sense. Um, There was never any disrespect that I saw from anything like that.
3: All right, believe it or not, we're just getting started. So there's a whole other hour of this in part two next week. So join us next week here at Podcast One for the next edition of Interview Friday of the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. And coming up as this conversation with ex-WWE creative team member Jason Allen continues next week. We're going to talk about Vince McMahon. We're going to talk about... Why he didn't stay? You know, what what did not work out? Why did he only stay with WWE for six months And the circumstances of his departure? We'll talk about some of his favorite memories working with some wrestlers who were fun to work with and others who weren't. We'll talk about uh, his thoughts on John Cena and some fascinating details on the reaction to John Cena writing poopy on JBL's limousine. Also, a story about the horns on the limousine. That'll have you shaking your head a little bit. Certainly, Jason was and uh, much more. It's, it's, it's a, uh, a lot of fun topics yet to get to, so be sure to tune in next week as Jason Allen and I continue our conversation about his time in WWE. I'll also ask him about what jumps out to him when he watches a product now 10 years later, what seems different, what surprised him about where WWE has gone in the last 10 years, and much more. We also have our Thursday flagship here at Podcast One Drivers Only. And uh, that'll do it for me for today, so follow me on social media at the Wade Keller. That's at the Wade Keller and follow our brand at PWtorch. Set your uh, alarm on Twitter, click that little bell to get alerts on the at PWtorch account, and you'll know when we post a new audio show and when we post new articles. And then on Facebook, you can friend me at facebook.com slash wade keller torch. And you can like our brand on Facebook at facebook.com slash pwtorch. Don't forget, if you have a question about Raw or SmackDown, or just a comment you want us to read on the air following Raw and SmackDown, or if you have a question for the Thursday flagship, be sure to get those questions in by midday Wednesday because we usually record after that. It is Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. That's Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. And if you attend a live event this weekend or any time in the future, please send us results of the show. Type up a report and send it into pwtorch at pwtorch.com. Just list the state and the city. Approximate attendance, how full was the building, gives you your best shot at that. And then number the matches and tell us who beat who and how and what you thought of the match and how the crowd reacted. You can find the format examples at pwtorch.com. Just click on the results category tab to look at the format if you're curious and want to follow along on that. But if you do attend a live event, help us tell everybody else about your experience and what's going on at non-televised events for WWE and otherwise. That applies to ROH, PWG, European indie shows, everything. Any live pro wrestling event we want to hear from you and we'll publish the results on the website and use that information to make us a little more informed when we talk about the product, and WWE, and all of pro wrestling here on the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. So that is your assignment. If you attend a live event, send us results, PWTorch at PWTorch.com. If you don't attend a live event, well, check out other people's reports at PWTorch.com and find out what's going on. New updates every single day at PWTorch.com. If you want to know what the ratings were for Raw SmackDown, The best metrics to put everything in perspective are on my reports that I type up, covering Raw and SmackDown ratings. That's just one of many, many exclusive features you'll find at pwtorch.com that you won't find anywhere else. Also check out our sister site, mmatorch.com, and keep up with written recaps of wrestling personality-hosted podcasts at pwpodcasts.com. Every day. Check out PWPodcast.com to read up on podcasts you might not have time to listen to or to help you decide which one to listen to next. That's PWPodcast.com. We're always looking for new volunteers to help us out at PWTorch, torch and PWPodcast.com. If you're interested in contributing to MMATorch.com or PWPodcast.com, We're looking for volunteers all the time to help us round out our coverage. You can send me an email and let me know that you're interested in volunteering. Tell me which site it's for and what you're interested in doing, and we will uh, get back to you. The email address to that is wadekellerpodcast at pwtorch.com. Just put volunteer in the subject line, and uh, I'll get back to you. All right, thanks, everybody. And until next time, for VIP members, that'll be any time. And for non-VIP members, that'll be next week after Raw. This is Wade Keller. Thank you for listening and signing off.
2: Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcasts? Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Pro Wrestling Paradise at Torch VIP as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the paradise too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger, and our I Was There When shows, where our guest will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety, and you can expect lots of it at the ProRest Paradise. Detailed PWTorch VIP subscription information and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices. Or you can stream them directly from our ad-free VIP mobile site. See you in the paradise.
5: Now, Podcast One brings you the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. It's time for Keller's interview with one of Pro Wrestling's newsmakers.
3: So, Jason... Big picture in terms of, of your job and how it evolved during your roughly six months there. How did your duties change from that the first day, the first week, the first month as, as you went on? And was part of your decision to leave um, just lifestyle or or was it seeing that there was a limit to your growth because of the, the uh, seniority level and certain people and you didn't see a path? to be more fulfilled on the professional end of things. So kind of, kind of talk about that dynamic.
5: Um, so the first day, the first TV, it was, uh, I mean, it's hard to kind of compare the last day to the first day because it's, there's just such a, an indoctrination kind of period where you're just getting yourself up to that speed, you know, like it's, it's very much like these guys are already on the train and the trains going hundred miles an hour and it's whizzing by you and you're going to try to grab onto it. Um so there's there's definitely a real quick whirlwind and a fast learning curve that this is, you know, this is how we do it. This is where you need to be. Um, but I was always encouraged, you know, to to chime in. And if you had an idea, like a legit idea that you thought was good and you could pitch it in a way that you conveyed clearly what the mission is and you clearly believed in it, that it was good, you could have an audience with pretty much whoever you wanted. It was never... A thing I never felt like. Oh, you're just an assistant, so piss off. I never felt like that there, um, which is which is encouraging because I, you know, I mean, you hear that a lot about a lot of other places and a lot of other corporations. You know, if you're kind of on the bottom of the pole, people aren't interested. You have to earn your way up. So the as as it kind of evolved, you know, I got a little bit more involved in the creative kind of process where, you know, they said, okay, well, Jason's clearly not a buffoon, so. Hey, why don't you go sit with Ms. and Morrison, get their pitch, and you know, put it in a in a grid format, you know, a tent pole kind of format, and bring it back so that we can look at it as a group. Or, um, you know, hey, go go over there and and help out with the Roddy Piper Santino backstage pre tape because you know they need stuff and and uh, and that, that I forgot to mention it before, but like a big big part of of the writer assistant job was to get what you would call production elements in line or magic, as they called it at the time. And that was if we needed a sledgehammer under the ring, I had to make sure that it was there. If we needed, quote unquote, Dudley tables, I needed to make sure that they were there. Um, If we needed, uh, you know, a a Geratron 5000 that Shawn Michaels could be smashed into by Chris Jericho during a highlight reel. I'm not making it, but that's ultimately my responsibility to make sure that the gears are in motion and that that stuff is happening. And that was something that absolutely didn't happen day one because day one, it's like, okay, we don't know. Are you like a fanboy? Are you going to crap your pants when, uh, you know, when Beth Phoenix comes by you or, you know, like how are you going to respond? Are you going to crumble? Are you going to flame out? Are you, are you going to excel? We don't know yet. So the first month is just kind of that, like, Okay, we're doing this. We're going here. Follow me. Do this. Don't say that. You know that kind of thing. And then the second month, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I get it. I know the flow. And then you start picking up these other responsibilities. But for like something like you know, JBL is going to run over Cena. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, obviously, to make that happen and make that safe. And I have to communicate that to those those people that are involved with that. But I have to do so in a way that's not necessarily. Uh, you know, giving away all of the story, you know, because there was never like a a massive paranoia about leaks and scripts. But there were also there was also a very keen understanding that what we're doing is sensitive and uh, we need to remain spoiler free. So if you don't need to know, you don't get to know. Um, You know, so I would go to those magic guys and I would get that stuff lined up and you know, so there was a lot of stuff like that and then as they know that people like you you start getting sent to go deliver messages or gather them you know um so after a couple months on the road you know like a guy like Mark Henry knows who you are and he's happy to see you and so then they say oh hey uh we want to do some crazy strength stuff with Mark so head on over there and ask him how strong he is <laughs> or you know something like that uh so that would be part of what I would do you know I would go over there and I'd say hey Mark uh, so we're thinking about doing uh, this stuff where you bend a frying pan, you, you know, can you bend a frying pan? And he's like, he'd say, I don't know, go get me one. <laughs> so I go back to catering. Before, yeah. yeah. Right. So I'd go back to catering and I'd get a frying pan and I took it over to him and he's sitting there and he's eating his, uh, his lunch and stuff. And he like rolled up this frying pan, like a burrito. And it was just insane, you know, cause this pan is solid. It's not a cast iron pan, but it's, it's a solid pan. Um, so like that would be something that they wouldn't ask you to do day one, because if you go up to a guy like any, any one of those talents and you say something like that, they don't know you, they're not going to respond in the right way. So you have to kind of earn their trust, um, during those, you know, first couple weeks or months so that they know that you're not, you you know, you're not a stooge. You're not just going back home and calling all your friends and saying, Oh my God, you know, guess what Mark Henry did. It's going to be so cool. You're going to see it next week on raw. You know, like they need to know that you're not that guy, so that they can start to open up to you. And that's that's the primary difference between day one and you know the end, because you build that those relationships. And um, I wouldn't say I was friends with any of the talent, but they knew who I was. They knew that I respected them. They knew I respected the business, and they knew that that I had their best interests in mind. That I wasn't going to you know intentionally bury any of them, or write bad stuff for them because i wanted them to succeed and i I wanted the, i wanted the business to thrive because ultimately i'm a fan too you know and i want to see good product all
3: right so let me jump in here and set the table this is the wade keller pro wrestling podcast here at podcast one for friday june 8th 2018 thanks for joining me today thanks for downloading the show i appreciate your support and glad you're back for part two of today's interview with ex-WWE creative team member Jason Allen. He was with WWE in 2008. It's the 10th anniversary of his time with WWE. He started as an assistant writer. And last week in the first of three installments of this interview, Jason talked about his time in WWE, how he got started, what it took to get the job, his first impressions, and more. If you missed that, I do recommend you listen to that first. And if you did listen to it, welcome back for part two. And we got a lot more good stuff to talk about. And we will uh, continue right after this message from DDP Yoga. I'm happy that DDP Yoga is back as a sponsor. Now you can subscribe to our VIP podcast lineup within the Apple Podcast app using your Apple account. That's new as of March 2022. Just search PW Torch in your Apple Podcast app and you'll see the PW Torch Daily Cast logo show up. That's our free show that's been around forever. And also the PW Torch VIP Podcast logo. There is a free show every week, so subscribe even if you don't plan to go VIP and get a sample of our VIP tier programming. But if you click subscribe, then you'll become a VIP member instantly with a three-day free trial, after which your Apple account will be charged. So you don't need to take out your credit card, debit card, or go anywhere else. If you listen to our free shows on Apple Podcasts, you are five seconds away from being a VIP member with a three-day free trial. So we invite you to check it out. That includes dozens of VIP shows throughout the week, including VIP versions of the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling post-shows and podcasts and daily casts. All those episodes are presented to VIP members with ads and plugs removed, along with VIP exclusives like our post-pay-per-view roundtables, the Wade Keller Hotline, The Fix with Todd and Wade, everything with Rich and Wade, and many other VIP exclusive shows. Just search PW Torch within the Apple Podcasts app. Okay, so now back to Jason Allen, x ex- WWE creative team member. Jason, when when did you decide this wasn't for you? Well, for me,
5: uh, it was kind of, I would say after that three month cycle ended and they extended me, I was really excited about that because that was kind of the hurdle. You know, people would tell you that, you know, if you if you could make it past three months, then you could stay pretty much as long as you want to stay. But it was getting through that sort of curve that chews up a lot of people, and. Uh, So we flew out of, uh, LaGuardia a lot and I was sitting on the plane and Foley, Mick Foley was not an on-air talent with us at the time, but he was, he was flying to the same place that we were. And I'm sitting next to him on the plane and, uh, I was reading a book and he leans over to me and he goes, uh, Hey, you know, that, that author's a real big fan of mine. And, uh, so I look over at him and I say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a really big fan of yours, too. Uh, I've read all your books. And um, and, and then I, I, I basically proceeded to just kind of like cry on Foley's shoulder for about 20 minutes about just the business in general. And I mean, looking back now, it's 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 very kind of trivial, you know, the things that were bothering me. I mean, some of it, I don't want to paint it with that brush, but some of it was just like, oh, I'm not. I'm not, you know, getting the feedback that I need. I'm not getting told if it's good or bad. It's just I'm I'm dumping my heart into this script and I'm handing it in and no one says anything about it. And I mean, looking back at the machine now, I I understand that there wasn't time to to worry about my feelings in that regard. Um, so I get it now, but I mean, back then it was it was important to me to know that that not necessarily what I was doing was going to be on TV, but what I was doing was at least okay. And that I wasn't wasting my time. Um, so I, you know, I outlined a lot of that stuff to Mick and, uh, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up the conversation, he goes, uh, you know, look, I, I understand what you're thinking and I understand where your head's at. Um, but from me to you, don't be this open with anybody else in the company. Uh, you know, and I kind of took that to heart that, you know, like you, you asked earlier if people would kind of like commiserate about life on the road and how it wasn't for them. And, and they really didn't because of that reason. And, and Mick kind of opened my eyes to that a bit. And I always thought that was, it's a cool little human moment that, you know, yeah. I, I had, I had the, you know, hardcore legend quote unquote sitting next to me on the plane. I could have picked his brain about anything, but I selfishly talked about myself <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for 20 minutes. And, you know, because everything that's been asked of Mick, I think at that point, he had already answered. He's probably tired of answering whether or not it hurt when he fell off the cage, you yeah. know? So I didn't want to ask him that kind of stuff because, again, I didn't want to come across as, like, a sort of starstruck fan. It was like, yeah, I know who you are, obviously. You, no one else looks like Mick Foley. I, I know who you are. Let me tell you a bit about who I am, and you tell me if I'm wasting my time here or if I'm, if I'm not right for it. And after that conversation, it was kind of clear that you know, uh, this might not be the right fit for me. Uh, like I talked about earlier, it was like, you know, there was just a real active bar scene and, um, that really wasn't my scene even then or, or ever. And I wasn't into that. Um, so it was just kind of like my, my work kind of deteriorated, I guess. And, and my, my level of effort went down and I didn't go to HR, HR came to me and they called me up to the up to the office, and I sat down with Brian and and uh, an HR representative, and they said, okay. uh, "So yeah, today's uh, today's going to be your last day, and we appreciate all your contributions, and we uh, wish you the best in your future endeavors." And I was like, "Wow, they really said that." <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, I mean, it's just it, it, it yeah, it's a real thing that that gets said. What so we obviously if your work went down and you're having these conversations with Mick, was it? did it cross your mind? Maybe this is being, maybe it's being noticed, you know, that, that I don't, my heart's not in this or they don't want to invest further in me in one of these spots. If, if my heart's not in it or my work isn't up to where it was uh, early on when they renewed you, did, did you have a sense of that? Oh,
5: for sure. I mean, that was the, the main point of conversation with Brian was uh, and he was, he was extremely open to to feedback that I had, you know, and um, it was, like it was clear that the job was ending today uh regardless of what i had to say but there was an open form for me to say it but yeah i think it was it was pretty clear that you know um i i felt like maybe the quality of my of the writing i was turning in had started to slide or you know maybe i was just not as uh, as jovial as i used to be or something like that so it was it was clear, I think, to the team that, you know, it was time for me to move on and for me to to hand that spot to one of the 15 people waiting in line. Um, it was it was the, the position deserves somebody who's all in. And at that time, I was not. So that decision was made. and I was 100 percent OK with it. I was concerned with, you know, what do I do in Stanford, Connecticut now that I don't have that. Um, but it it, uh, it didn't feel like the failure that I thought it would. If, if that makes sense, did you, I, I felt, like, did you I felt like I would be crushed in a way. Yeah, because it was basically like, you know, you had your dream, you lived it. It wasn't for you. And now you're done. And and that felt good in that sense. I mean, going up there and spending the six months and it not working out infinitely feels better than me sitting here 10 years later thinking like, you know, I wonder what would have happened if I went up there for that interview, you know? Uh, absolutely you know that 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 was totally worth it and i did feel relieved because i felt like i felt like i knew you know i mean i guess that's kind of the best way to put it like i knew it wasn't for me and i knew it's never going to be for me and it's okay support us on
3: patreon starting at four dollars and 99 cents get these shows ad free and bonus vip content that's four dollars and 99 cents on patreon patreon.com slash pw torch vip that's patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. That is the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to support us and enjoy these shows with a streamlined listening experience. The Wade Keller post-shows, podcasts, and the PW Torch daily casts, plus some random VIP bonus content. So what, uh, we'll get a little, uh, into what happened next with you and then we'll rewind and, and go back into your time there. And, and I know there's some fun anecdotes and people I want to ask you about and moments on TV that I want to ask you about, but wh- what, what, did you do next? Like, how did you, how did you adjust to we'll call it a more normal experience <laughs> than what you talk about this immersive uh, and, and somewhat uh, in a bubble isolated life of being a writer for six months?
5: Yeah. So I just, I got home and I got in my car and I drove uh, it was very uh, Forrest Gumpish where he just kind of takes off running uh, out of nowhere and doesn't turn around. I just got in my car and, and I started driving toward Michigan <laughs> because I had a buddy that lived there. And they, uh, when I left, it was a, a two-week severance. And I'm like, I'm going to take those two weeks and I'm just going to drive. And I'm going to kind of get lost in my own head for a while and figure out what I want to do. Do I want to stay in Stanford? Do I want to go back home? Um, You know, if I go back home, is everybody going to be like, oh, we knew you wouldn't make it, you know, or, uh, you know, would I get sympathy from them? Would would people tell me, like, I blew it? You know, how would they respond? And, you know, what am I going to say to them? How am I going to tell them? You know, like, how am I going to tell my mom that, that she sent me to school for this and I had the job and I lost it because I didn't want it? Like. Really? You know, that that's kind of, you know, so I had to, I had to clear my head for a while. So I drove around for about 10 days just to, to visit various people that I knew around the country. And I, I went and saw my grandparents for the first time in a while. And, um, yeah, then I drove back up to Stanford and, uh, by the time I got there, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to put my stuff in the car and I'm going to keep on driving. And I just headed back home. And, uh, so that was what I did. I didn't have any, There was, there was never a part of me that was like, I'm going to go work as a cashier at the corner store in Stamford, Connecticut. There was no point in doing that because I didn't know anybody there. And the people I did know are married to the WWE. So they don't have time for me anyway. Yeah.
3: Well, so uh, what, what did you end up doing? I know you've stayed a fan. Um, You're a torch VIP member, listen to uh, and read our, our coverage of wrestling and and you're following the industry today. And and I, I eager to talk to you about what you think of the changes and where things have gone since you were there. Um, but not everybody stays a fan. I think most, it seems like most people stay a fan, but some people need a break for a while. Like how, how did you look at pro wrestling differently, having been there, um, in terms of the role that it played in your life as an escape? Do, is it, is it in a different place in your life, uh, since you left?
5: In a way, yes. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I kind of liken it to like Wizard of Oz. Like once you've looked behind the curtain, you can't unlook. Yeah from behind the curtain. Um, I mean, obviously I, you know, I knew going in or I knew long, long before that it was a, you know, uh, a scripted drama. Um, But I kind of look at it more critically after the fact, like, you know, I look at a guy like Roman and it's like, you know, you could make him whatever you want to make him. So why do you continue to have him be somebody that, that is not, is not connecting with the fans, you know? So I'm, I'm, I think I'm extra critical in a situation like that or when there's just really sloppy writing or really sloppy booking, that kind of stuff bugs me more than, than before. Whereas before I would just say, Oh, that was stupid. You know, uh, yeah, (laughs) not just, not to say I'm, I'm proud of, you know, like the Vicky Guerrero pudding match, but, (laughs) but, you know, there's always that kind of stuff where you're like, yeah, somebody pitched this or, You know, somebody thought that this would be a good idea and it's not, you know. And so that aspect of it is is kind of troublesome. I really didn't take too much time off because I wanted to see. I was mainly curious if the stuff that we had pitched as a group, you know, and the stuff that we had planned was going to pan out the way the way we had it planned and how how much different does it become? Because like when you're in it, it's hard sometimes to remember after what happened, what you thought should have happened. Right. Because it's, it's, it's kind of like, like when somebody lies so much that the lie becomes their reality. It's like that. Like, it's hard to go back a year later, you know, and say, well, like, okay, well, this is how WrestleMania was supposed to be, and this is what we ended up with. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard to look at it through that lens to kind of use uh, a Wade Keller verbiage there. it's hard to it's hard to look through through that lens and and look back at it so it's yeah you can never detach completely but it was there was never a time where I was like soured on the business and I was just like oh screw wrestling I'm not watching for two years I, I never lost my passion as a fan and Uh, You know, I I still I I don't watch it quite as much on the week to week stuff. I rely a lot more on the Keller hotlines to keep me up to date on Raw and Smackdown because I can listen to those on my commute to work, whereas I don't always have three hours on a Monday night. Um, So I'm still involved. Definitely. I never miss the pay-per-views. And and, uh, I I still look at it kind of with that aspect, like I'll look at it and I'll say, man, like I feel bad for who had to pitch that to that talent because you could tell the talent's just not into it.
3: So uh, when you watch TV today, uh, WWE TV when, when you do take time to do that and when you have since he left over 10 or almost 10 years ago, do, do you I, I guess uh, I, I'm uh, Joseph, who we talked about earlier, writer at the time DJ, he ta- I remember interviewing him and he talks about how you know he's always anticipating, You know, the the cadence of the show, and and that there's the top of the hour, and when are they going to get the breaks in, and oh, here's a ring entrance, and then we go to commercial, and then there's a match, and it's like he sees all those things that he would not have thought that much about as a fan. What do you see now, when you do watch a WWE TV show, that jumps out to you that maybe you noticed that even when you listen to me recap a show, I'm not noticing or that you didn't notice before you were a fan because you were part of the the process of, of creating the shows.
5: Um, I mean, I think I notice a lot more kind of what's happening in pre-tape versus what's happening live. You can, you can usually tell uh, based on uh, what you can hear in the audience and just how kind of lively people are. Uh, there's a certain danger that comes with being what you would call live, live. And some guys thrive in that and some guys don't. So I, I pick up on that pretty immediately. If I, I could tell if a backstage promo is, is live, live versus pre-taped or if it's like the sixth time that they've done that particular thing. Um, so stuff like that. Um, sometimes like when, when, when especially extraordinary things happen I'll I'll kind of pick up on that and how they had to break the format because we would definitely think in those terms like you would come in with the open and then you crash to break and then you come back and then, you know, Jericho and Regal are already in the ring. Here's the match happening, Uh, you know, and you don't we never planned it out in the in the in the spots where you would say, okay, this happens outside the ring and then we go to commercial. It was just like, okay, the match is going to be 12 minutes long. Jericho goes over uh clean and then it's up to them and the uh and the road agent to come up with the match so we never i would never think of it in terms of like oh they're late for commercial or whatever but like just being around it for so long like when seth goes out and does the uh you know the the dive through the ropes i'm like thinking boom commercial break you know we're going to that um top of the hour bottom of the hour it's always got to be something hot so you know Like you kind of like it it can sometimes ruin things if you know that they're advertising like Rousey's going to come out. You know, she's going to come out either top of the show, middle of the show or end of the show. And it's never just like, oh, here's Ronda Rousey at uh, at 948, you know, or whatever. So that kind of stuff can can damage the, the spontaneity of it a little bit, I think. But that's really kind of looking at it on a on a micro level.
3: Thank you for listening to the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to also subscribe to our Red Logo Show, the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Shows, featuring our live post shows, which you can download and listen to on demand at any time, covering Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown throughout the week. With rotating guest co-hosts, live callers, and emails, plus on-site correspondents who talk to us right after they leave the building on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights. That's the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Show. Just search Wade Keller, look for the red logo, and click subscribe; it's free. What would you change about the writing process, looking back now at how they did things? Is there anything in retrospect you're just like, "Boy, that was a lot of busy work," or that that was there, there was a much more productive way to to get to the endpoint that they wanted?
5: I, well, it's hard to say because the rosters are so they're so big now. Uh, There's a lot of talent to work with and kind of like how I was sort of venting to Mick about, you know, I write all this stuff and I just write pages of stuff and no one ever tells me if it's good or if it's bad. Uh, You know, the the talent is like that a lot too. Like they have to be sort of coached and uh, I don't want to say coddled because that's the wrong word, but they have to be encouraged and they need to know like what's their motivation and someone has to communicate that to them. So, I would love to say, like, go back to a smaller, more agile writing team where it's just five or six people, you know, kind of in a room, you know, around Vince's dining room table, so to speak, you know, back in the day where it was just three or four guys and, and hammer out some long term stories. I'd really love to see much more long term arcs. Like when Cena came out and challenged Rock for, you know, a match next year at Mania, it was like this is cool. Like, how are they going to keep this going and how are they not going to have interactions for a year? And that was an exciting challenge and something like that. Like I would, a fan would look at that and say like, no, like wrestle now, wrestle right now, you know, like they do all the time. Um, So for me, like to see something like that, I was like, okay, I'm fascinated. How do you, how do you keep this interesting for a year? So I think kind of like streamlining the process but you can't, you can't maintain credibility with the writing team and the talent with less people. Cause there's just not enough hours in the day to go around and give every single person that, that motivation or that pep talk or that one-on-one time that they need to really figure out who, who they're supposed to be. So it's, it's like a, you, you have to rob one to, to fund the other. And I don't know that there really is a, a, a A winning formula but from what i understand the writing team's bigger now than it was then and it's only it seems like it's only going to continue to go that way
3: all right um the interaction with vince mcmahon we've gotten this far into it we haven't talked much about vince (laughs) um and uh christian harloff you know talked about how you know when, when vince walks in a room you, you, it, it's like the godfather. Walking around. I can't remember, actually can't remember the exact uh, comparison he made, but there's a presence. Oh, he said if the force was real, Vince McMahon yeah. would give off the vibe of a force. T- talk about Vince McMahon and, and your interactions with him uh, personally and also how people talked about him when he wasn't around, what, what, the, what the view of him as the leader
5: was. Um, I mean, my interaction with him is going to be uh, pretty limited. Um, I was around, he would never come in the writer's room. He would, he would be down in his office and, uh, you know, the upper level guys would go meet with him, kind of get the directive or, you know, they would go in, Brian would have to go in, uh, you know, like on Thursday or Friday and, and pitch him the show that we've as a team have, have built. Um, and then he would come back, you know, sometimes really energetic. Sometimes he'd come back kind of dejected and he'd come back with this, Mike Adamley kind of news, uh, which, you know, not to, not to paint Adam Lee with a, a negative brush or anything, but that was a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he would come back with that. And so I dealt with Vince more at a distance as far as, you know, he is the ultimate boss of my boss of my boss. Um, my interaction with Vince was a lot more, I, I would say just, not professional but personal and not i'm not saying' we're, we were buddies or anything like that but like there were a lot of times where it was my responsibility to make sure food was delivered to his to his room you know and one of the writer assistant jobs me and and my my uh my counterpart was we had to you know feed vince like like got to feed the bears you know on a certain schedule and he had you know i know that you, you like to harp on his on his meat stuff and that's exactly what it was it was like we're walking like 18 ounce sirloin steak and asparagus into his dressing room and sometimes he eats it sometimes he doesn't but it had to be delivered at a certain time wait um, he ate asparagus I, yeah there was asparagus on the plate from time to time yeah. yeah and did he eat it you know uh i don't i never paid oh. attention too much <laughs> it was it, it was either untouched or it was gone this is so breaking news I, I mean he ate vegetables we didn't know this this is great
3: <laughs> I can add that to my list of things about Vince. I just thought it was um, steak wraps and ketchup. That's all I ever heard about.
5: Yeah, lots of that, too. Yeah. I mean, everything you hear about, like, the germophobia and stuff, that's all legit. That, I mean, he, uh, he, if, if, you, if there was, like, a, a bowl of candy or a bowl of, of peanuts on a table, um, this was one of the, like, the very first things that was explained to me. Like, <laughs> you do not stick your hand in the bowl and eat out of your hand. What you do is you pick up the bowl and you pour it into your non-bowl hand and then eat with your non-bowl hand. And then if you go back for seconds, you pour again. Um, So like all of that stuff, like that's all that's all real and that's all legit. Um, He never came across to me as uh, as like uh, as a dictator or a uh, hey, it's 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 my way, pal. We're going to do it this way. Um, Vince would listen to anybody if they had conviction and they wanted to pitch um, and that that was just really cool about him now I never had the opportunity to like stand on a soapbox and, and pitch him this fantastic storyline um, partially because we were never in the same place for too long it was generally just walk in you knock walk in drop the plate on the thing he says thank you you say you're welcome and you leave uh, but he was always polite in that way I, I don't recall anybody like there was never any like Oh, you know, the old man's lost it or any kind of like any talk like that with us. Yeah, we would definitely have those. So here's what he wants to do, you know, and and here, would, you know, Brian would come in and lay out this this uh, sort of uh, chicken s to make salad out of. Um, and that doesn't mean the idea was bad. It was just like, hey, this is a total curveball that we were not expecting. Now we have to adjust or he would tell us, you know, like, uh, okay, so, yeah, this guy's going away for suspension, so we got to work around that. Or so-and-so is injured, you know, Orton broke his collarbone uh, with Triple H at one of the pay-per-views we were at. I think it was Extreme Rules. And, um, yeah, it was like, okay, so now we have to rewrite, we have to write Orton out of all of that stuff. So, like, that kind of stuff would come down from Vince, and I can't remember any time anybody kind of openly critiquing his vision or where we were going it was kind of the mindset of you know he's he's at the time you know he's 60 years old and he wants to do this mcmahon millions thing so we're gonna make it as interesting as we can oh he wants a light rig to fall on him and he wants to be you know out of commission oh okay we'll do that (laughs) he wants to he wants to break kayfabe and call triple h paul when he can't feel his legs Uh, you know okay like (laughs) who are we to tell him that that's not right right (laughs) So, yeah, we're all kind of along for the ride. And, you know, is there a madman at the wheel? You know, sometimes, yeah. But we all regarded him as, um, you know, as the boss. And, hey, he's the guy signing the checks. So we're going to execute his vision to the best and the most entertaining way we can.
3: Thanks for downloading today's show. Take it to the next level with a VIP membership. Get shows like this, the Weight Killer Pro Podcast, Weight Killer Pro Post Show, and the PW Torch Daily Casts on our PW Torch VIP podcast feed with ads and plugs removed from the shows for a streamlined listening experience. And also, hear the VIP exclusive shows that I host with Rich Fan and Todd Martin. Everything with Rich Fan and the fix with Todd Martin's signature VIP series that you're missing out without a VIP membership. So go VIP here in 2022 and enjoy all the benefits, all the bonus content, and the ad free listening experience. pwtorch.com go VIP. So let, let's talk about the Mike Adamly thing because this fits in here um, with Brian Gewurz delivering the news. And, um, you know, th- that Vince McMahon was high on Adamly, and Brian Gewurz mm-hmm. knew this was maybe not going to work out. Um, t- talk about that a little bit more and, and how that played out because it's it's interesting with, you know, Gewurz and Vince were close and tight, and there was a respect there. And yet, here's a case where, yeah, there's an edict from Vince, and, you know, the top writer
5: it knows it's trouble. (laughs) So, um, first off, uh, what I say here is just kind of my speculation, but the way Brian pitched it to us, he was very uh, kind of mischievous about it. Like, I think Brian had a very different idea, in my opinion, of how this Adam Lee thing was going to play out than Vince. I think Vince went into it, you know, whole hog thinking that this was something good. Like, this was, you know, Adam Lee was going to be the voice of reason and, you know, he's going to bring credibility to the show because he's got a sports broadcasting background, you know? And then, so, I mean, we saw how it kind of worked out with the commentary. He wasn't a natural fit. And we had this guy under contract. That's so one that way to Brian put it. Comes yeah. in, <laughs> <laughs> Brian comes in and he's like, Adam Lee's going to be the GM. And he said it in a way, and, and this is like a 20 second conversation 10 years ago. But in my mind, the way it happened was Brian came back and he was like, Adam Lee's going to be the GM. Let's have some fun. And the the idea was never to like paint him into these situations where he looks silly. Uh, He just like kind of naturally did that on his own. But I don't think that was the, the idea from the start. The idea from the start was to make him a legit authority figure who wasn't a heel and um, and run with that for a while, and Adam Lee just turned into this sort of cartoon of himself, you know, to where a couple weeks in, you know, he's he's backstage doing skits with uh, with Cena and Mickey James and and JBL about Mama Juana, you know, like. <laughs> he, so he was like, he was easy to write for because you knew like no matter what he touched, he'd find a way to make it uh, kind of funny, but in an unintentional way. But he was just one of those things like, OK, like this is the way we're going. And right off the bat, I think Brian had different ideas for how to how to kind of script him and, and how to utilize him than, than what Vince did. But it was it was one of those situations where it was like, yeah, I'm doing what you want to do, but I'm going to kind of do it my own way. And a lot of things happened in that manner where there was an edict and we got it done. But we might have danced around a point or two here or there to, to kind of make it. What we knew, the audience needed it to be, while still maintaining Vince's vision.
3: Was, as you were observing Vince's vision, um, did the writers talked about have talked to me about? Um, you hear it a lot the, that we were writing for an audience of one, um, but that audience of one is Vince McMahon, and he made it to this point. He's the boss, and in Vince's mind, when you write for him, you're writing for his fan base. You're writing for the universe, to use the vernacular. And there's a reason behind why he wants things written a certain way. What level of shoulder shrug was there to? Yeah, we got to do this thing that Vince wants done, even though it's kind of quirky. Um, and it's just to, you know, it's to entertain himself because he's again. You're saying he wasn't like this madman at the wheel, but was there a sense that? Well, sometimes Vince just wants something because he gets a kick out of it. Or was there a thought? No, we're, we can't second guess this guy. The reason he wants things. Might be reasons we don't understand, but he does things genuinely because he thinks it's best for business. It's not just writing for a guy with quirky interests to please himself because this is his whole life.
5: Um, I think that there's I mean, there's bits and pieces to all of that. Um, There's a couple different answers. So I always wrote for for me, like I wrote for what I would want to see as a fan with with the very keen mindset to. You know, I know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable to to the ultimate audience of one. But I would I would kind of just fantasy book for myself and, and see what came out. And if, if it was too far from the vision, I kinda of pull it back a little bit. But like I was saying before, like people weren't necessarily looking to me to come up with these fantastical ideas on how to how to close raw on a hot angle. You know, if I happen to have that idea, then awesome but it wasn't my responsibility. So I took more chances, I think with my writing than, than some of the other guys might have. Um, so I felt a little bit more free. Like I would pitch things that I, I liked myself. Like um, I remember going to Brian one time and I, I, I was like, you know, I, I noticed that Jericho puts people in, in, uh, in the walls of Jericho every match, but no one ever taps out. When's the last time someone tapped out? And he's like, that's a good question. Find that out. So, you know, do a little homework and find out. It's been like two years. So, yeah, Kofi Kingston (laughs) tapping out tonight. So that kind of stuff, like, you would bring that up to Vince, and he liked that sort of research and that sort of fact-checking because, you know, going back to the previous question, like, do you try to to avoid repeating history? Uh, A lot of that was kind of tied into how you would write, and you would know that you have to hit certain beats, and you know that you're going to... Like you know that the end goal is gonna be uh, Jericho Michael's ladder match for the title. You, like you know that, but that, how do you get the title on Jericho? And then you kind of work backwards. So you you have the vision from Vince and the collective agreement that this is the way we want to go, and then you're writing you're writing your own most entertaining version of that story, with really I mean not too many qualifiers or not too many limitations on, on what comes out. And um, so I never, I, I feel like I've floundered on this question a little bit, but I never really felt like I was writing for Vince because I never really felt like Vince would be reading my paper, like, you know, my script by itself in a vacuum. So so it was like I never really sweated that too much. I, I did my best to fall within company lines and keep what we wanted to do going. Um, I had much more feedback from Brian as far as if I was pushing it too far one way or the other. And if I wasn't writing stuff that was useful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely kind of like, well, this is where we're going. Let's make the best of it. And if he shoots it down, then we'll go with plan B. And if he shoots that down, we'll go with plan C. And sometimes we'd be on playing G or H, but by the time you're there, you don't remember what A was, so it doesn't matter.
3: With some podcast memberships, there's a complicated system of having to enter a username and password in advanced settings, and it works on some apps but not others. That's not the case with PW Torch VIP membership. We now have a slick setup where you're a single click away when you go VIP from having your podcast feed automatically generated on Apple Podcasts. All you need is an authorized VIP membership as soon as you sign up on our express sign-up form, which takes about a minute. You'll get a link and you click on it and it opens Apple Podcasts and subscribes. No entering anything, no advanced settings. You can also subscribe on more podcast apps than ever other than Apple Podcasts, including Beyond Pod and Dogcatcher on Android and many others on iPhones and iOS. So VIP membership, it's more convenient than you realize. Get all the benefits of VIP membership, all the VIP exclusive podcasts, and these shows with the ads and plugs removed with a VIP membership pwtorch.com slash govip. It's quick, it's easy, it's convenient, and we think it's worth it. pwtorch.com slash So Let's talk about McMahon's millions. Uh, you brought that up. Uh, what was the reaction to it, and, and how do you look back on it? Yeah, talk about that.
5: I mean, I <laughs> when, when he first came in, he's like, McMahon, Vince wants to give away a million dollars on Raw. It was like, Holy crap. Really? Like, is this like to a wrestler? Is this like the, like a, like a bounty on, on Steve Austin or like, what, what do you mean? No, 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 no. He wants people to call in like 100% shoot live and, and give away money. And it's, it was just like you, you, that that's one of those sort of like Vince McMahon kind of things where you don't even bother asking why you just start thinking about, okay, well, what does the podium look like? What is the, is there a theme song for this? You know, like all of that stuff, like you just start making it happen without asking, you know, why or, (laughs) or anything like that. It was crazy. And, And all of us were just scratching our heads, but it was like, okay, you know, he, he wants to do that. And, Back to your point of you know having different revenue streams, you know, like he might be trying to spike a rating or get some some mainstream media coverage or something for reasons that we're totally oblivious to, but that was our job, you know, our job was to take his vision, you know, and kind of mold it into something something plausible or something viable, and and put it on TV 52 weeks out of the year, and that was McMahon's millions, and um, I don't I don't remember if we had that clear outage. I, I remember that we weren't going to get to the million thing. Um, the stage was going to fall, but I don't remember what exactly the payoff was going to be for that, because it seems like it never really played out the way it was supposed to, if I'm remembering back. I do remember we were shooting a pre-tape, and uh, there's just random people kind of walking in the background, um, like Batista was walking down from Gorilla, and Vince was walking with him, kind of you know, giving him some notes after the match, and we were doing a pre-tape in that same hallway, and uh, one of the other writers, you know, had to run over and, and like kind of tackle Vince because it's like, hey, you're supposed to be in the hospital. <laughs> so we had to we had to keep him off camera for that. And that was like right around that time with Vince gone that like all that like crazy stuff started happening backstage and lighting stuff was falling down. And there was supposed to be a payoff for that. But I was never privy to <laughs> where we were going with it. It was just, yeah, stuff's chaotic on Raw. So think of goofy stuff that can happen. And uh, that was one of those, or like, when the fan kind of jumps in front of, of Batista during his promo and does the thing. And it was just a weird time, like, with that particular McMahon's Millions. That was, like, the only time that I felt like, yeah, maybe he's not all home.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> the do you, do you have, like, a craziest idea that got pitched – that ended up not happening, something where uh, somebody kind of swooped in and said this this shouldn't happen or can't happen, or you just kind of rolled your eyes and never got talked about again when something somebody brought it up?
5: Uh, I mean, there was a lot of stuff like that, but like I was saying, it's kind of hard to remember all the cutting room floor stuff uh, because it's not what happened. Like I remember uh, there was definitely a pitch in play for – sort of a incestuous thing with, with Paul Birchall and Katie Lee Birchall and, and we started planting seeds for that. And then that fell apart pretty quick. Um, there were some very vocal people about that not happening. Jeez. Um, ah, I really want to think here. Um, so one thing was like another part of the process is like, there's a lot of people involved and sometimes things don't happen because somebody says they can't happen. And then you find out later that they totally could have happened. Uh, for example, uh, Cena's feuding with JBL over the summer. And if you remember, there's a time where he demolishes JBL's limo and, uh, you know, spray paints uh, JBL is poopy on the side. And, and man, yes. we, man, that was just, that was a, that was a rough time. <laughs> it was back with, with Cena was doing his, his little stint with crime time. And he was kind of like floundering between, between main event programs and, and, uh, the tone of that whole thing was, was just weird cause it was comical and then not comical. But I remember that Brian like pitched really hard for those, those bullhorns on the front of the limo to get destroyed, you know, cause those were, those were like very JBL. Like that's right. his thing. That's, that's his logo. We're going to tear those up. And, uh, and then the magic guy was like, oh no, 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 we can't, we can't tear those up. We had a guy that did the car stuff, you know, for backstage and things like that and, And he's like, oh, no, we can't tear those up. Those are way too expensive, way too expensive. So we write it out of the script and we never really think about it. And then after the the deal's over and we've got the spray painted limo with these pristine bullhorns on it, it's like, man, it'd be really cool if he could have just taken those off and smashed them or, you know, uh, did something like that. Like when uh, like when Brock tore up uh, the J&J security car, you know, like he demolished that thing. If I'm remembering, it was Brock, right, that tore up the, the Cadillac with with Jamie Noble and. I think it was him.
3: I think so. Yeah.
5: Yeah. So but like he just like went all in on the car. No no worries about that. And it's and like you think, you think back and you're like, you know, these this is the same company that that ran monster trucks over Lincoln Continentals and stuff. Like how expensive are these bullhorns? Like are these off of an endangered species or what? Uh, and then the guys like, "No, man, they're really expensive. They're like 400 bucks." You know, and it was like Okay, so so we had this <laughs> grand idea, this beautiful visual. Yes. We're going to We're going to demolish the visage of JBL. You know, (laughs) we're going to kill his mascot, basically. And we did and over four hundred dollars like the catering for breakfast costs more than that. Are you kidding me? So like something like that, that's that was an idea that never made it to where it was, where it could have been, because somebody was like, oh, no, we can't do that. And none of us ever questioned him. Uh, There was another pitch that that uh, that. Seamus, when he came in, like Seamus should carry an axe to the ring, you know, kind of like the Bludgeon Brothers do now. He should carry an axe. And one of the writing team guys was very quick to, to dismiss that. He's like, no, 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 no. Seamus can't have an axe because you can never pay that off. Uh, what do you mean? Well, We can never hit anybody with it because then they'll die, you know. And so like like you, you come up with so much goofy stuff like that, that it's easy to forget because like you're shooting stuff down as it's like leaving the hangar. (laughs) So like these aren't ideas that ever really have a a true, like the ability to truly take flight, not anything high level. Like I can't say like, Oh, we had this massive plan for, you know, Cena to be um, Vince's adopted son or something like that. There was never anything like that in my tenure, at least that I can recall right off the top of my head.
3: Thanks for listening to our podcast. Did you know we also have a website? pwtorch.com, daily news updates, editorials, and my live TV coverage covering Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown, and my live pay-per-view coverage for WWE and AEW. Create a tab or bookmark, make it a daily stop, visit us throughout the day every day to keep up on breaking news and more. That's pwtorch.com. The Broncoiser thing was in 2015. I did. I did confirm online. <laughs> so,
5: yes, yeah. he smashed the car like totally. Like the car is. Done. Oh, totally.
3: Yes, and, and you know, it, so the, the, you learn. The question you have to ask is expensive. How expensive exactly? That's a good question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Define that. Define that. Because a, a few weeks later, we're crashing a car into another limo, and you know, doing thousands of dollars worth of body work damage. So, yeah, it's a question that that I wish I would have asked because it would have really made that segment a lot better than the spray paint deal.
3: How aware were writers that you knew of to the public reaction to what they were doing, both um, in terms of metrics like TV ratings, quarter hours? Did that get talked about? Um, Feedback from Vince, but also the Internet or I mean, podcasts weren't as big then. But um, Mm -hmm. in social media, one, it wasn't as big then. But how, how tuned in did you sense the writers were to? Outside reaction um, and really in arena reaction, all that. What kind of feed, how, how valuable was feedback, and how did they gauge reaction to what they wrote and did?
5: We looked a lot at ratings. We looked a lot at, at minutes by minutes. Would generally be there when we got. We'd have that quarterly ratings on Wednesday, usually when we got back to the office, and then we'd have minute by minutes on Thursday. So you would kind of see like, oh, you know, it ticked up real big when when Punk came out, or it ticked up real, or it fell down really quickly, you know, when uh when Mike Knox is on the screen or something like that. And and you don't necessarily say like, okay, this guy tanks the ratings, so we need to get him off the show or we need to It's we it just kind of like, okay, we need to script him differently or we need to position him um, not as a tent pole, but as, you know, something that falls in between the two. Um so they were extremely aware of that stuff. We never, from what I can recall, never openly discussed um like PW Torch or or uh anything like that i would still read it because i was curious to see uh you know kind of like what your reactions were what the community's reactions were to things that we were doing you know like what i I would be very curious you know because i was i was reading the torch way back before i started there so you know we'd go we would do a pay-per-view and i would say like okay you know uh batista and and Shawn michaels just had a stretcher match uh, i wonder what wade thought you know and i'd go and i'd, I'd see it as uh, two stars oh man it was way better than that or four <laughs> stars no it wasn't that good you know so you kind of like you have your opinions and you're a little tainted because like you you see what those guys look like when they come backstage you know yeah. and you know that they went out there and you know that they gave every single thing that they had and maybe just like the layout of the match wasn't quite right, or the scripting wasn't right, or the storyline wasn't right, um, and you kind of you kind of feel for them when guys when when people you know out in the message board land or whatever are like are talking about how so and so's you know not good or they've lost their touch or they you know they're they're not hot anymore and you know you look back and it's just like you start to regard these people as more than just as, as wrestlers, you, you look at them as people. And I mean, it's tough. It's tough to watch like undertaker, you know, walk around backstage it, it, during my time there. I mean, and this was 10 years ago um, because he would go out he'd knock out this match like, like he's, you know, 30 years old. And then as soon as he gets past that curtain, it's like, you know, he's back to this sort of, you know, shell of himself. And, and you feel bad giving him anything less than four stars in my mind, because it's like, well, if you saw what I saw, you would understand how much it takes for him to be that guy. So we were very aware, at least me and, and the guys on my sort of what I would call totem, you know, me and the other writer assistant, we talk a lot about, you know, what, what PW torch was saying, or, you know, what another, one of the sheets might be saying at the time. And, Please don't take offense to sheets. No, 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 not at all. Of course not. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we would talk about that in our circle. But I mean, you'd like you wouldn't bring up like, you know, PW Torch in a broad sense to, to guys because yeah. it's just not it's it, you know, people have their opinions about what you do and um, you're not going to shape those. So it's just better to not fight an unnecessary fight oh. or not out guys who who, you know, support the torch or who are fans of it. That too. You know, so you're, it's kind of like a lose-lose situation. But we would absolutely look at, at fan reactions. We'd look at minute-by-minute at minute ratings. If we... So for any show that we weren't on the road for, and this happened kind of later on in my time there where they started having a, a stay-at-home squad and then a go-to, go-to-work go to squad. When we were on the stay-at-home squad, we would watch the show and we would do basically like a, a raw recap, you know, after after the show's done. And I remember getting some heat with uh with with somebody because we were doing a show from new orleans and i was back at in the office and they went to like a bourbon street shot and there was nobody there it was like total ghost town and i wrote in my report it was like man i hope that you know all the people who would normally be on bourbon street are at rock because like we picked a super dead scene to shoot (laughs) you know and and afterward it was like oh hey man you know don't kind of say that stuff and that was, I think, part of what kind of started leading them to believe that, okay, maybe Jason's not in this. Because mm-hmm. if he was, he might care a little bit more. And that wasn't meant to be a dig like at the producer or at the camera guy or whatever. It was just my observations as a fan, which you've told me to do. You told me to sit here and be a fan. If I'm as a fan and you're trying to tell me that this is the most happening city in America, show me something that tells me this is the most happening city in America. Yeah. So small stuff like that. And we we give that feedback and uh, we were encouraged to uh, we we went out on a house show loop once when we were out in California where we just sat in the crowd and just soaked it in. And Mm. I mean, you know, as well as I do, that a house show crowd can be very different than a TV crowd, especially today. I I feel like that gap has gotten much, much wider now than it used to be. Um, So there you see, like what people are chanting, what kind of signs they're bringing. And that kind of gives you a vibe, an idea of they're buying into this aspect of this character. So maybe we should emphasize that they're calling him this on the on the card. So maybe we should consider working that in. So there was always an ear to the ground to the fans. But there was always that same like, you know, hey, this is what we're doing. And unless the wheels absolutely fall off or some guy gets injured, this is the plan. Hell or high water. Get in the boat, you know.
3: All right, so we'll wrap up uh, part two and come back next week with the third and final hour of this fascinating interview with Jason Allen, who was kind enough to share details of his experience working behind the scenes in WWE. There's some great stuff coming up. Be sure to check out next week's program. Download it next Friday, but between now and then, I will be hosting the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast, PWTorchVIPinfo.com. Thank you, everybody, for your support, and until next time, Wade Keller. Encouraging you to follow me on Twitter at the Wade Keller, and our brand at PWTorch, or friend me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WadeKellerTorch, or follow our brand on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PWTorch. And until next time, Wade Keller signing off. We invite you to email the show with feedback or questions or comments. That email address is Wade Keller at PWTorch.com. That's Wade at PWTorch.com. also welcome your feedback on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at PWTorch and follow me at The Wade Keller. That's at PWTorch and at The Wade Keller. One way that you can help us sustain our schedule of putting out podcasts throughout the week is by giving us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Just go to Apple Podcasts and look for our Wade Keller Processing Podcast and Wade Keller Processing Post Show and give us a five-star rating. We hope you think we've earned that score with our fast turnaround times and our quantity and quality of wrestling analysis throughout the week. So take a moment out for us and do us a favor and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. That helps us on search returns and helps us grow. And if you want, you can add a few comments about what you like about the programs in the comment section. Thank you so much.
6: Do you remember when Hulk Hogan shocked the world and formed the New World Order, or when Stone Cold Steve Austin passed out in the sharpshooter to Brett the Hitman Hart? I'm Torch contributor Frank Petiani, and I've reviewed these shows and many more for my exclusive VIP podcast, Pro Wrestling Then and Now. Together with a rotating chair of co-hosts, we go back 10, 20, even 30 years, review pay-per-views from top to bottom, talk about where the wrestlers were at the time, and compare what took place then to what what is taking place now? You get exclusive access to these and other podcasts as part of your PW Torch VIP membership, which is compatible with the Apple Podcasts app. Visit pwtorch.com/goVIP for details and sign up for them. In
4: 2012, NXT transitioned into the developmental system and ultimately the brand you see today. On the Torch VIP podcast, NXT Eight Years Back, we'll be taking a weekly look at this page in NXT's early history.
3: Join Kelly Wells and me, Tom Stout, from PWT Talks NXT every Saturday as we go eight years back to the day to track NXT's rising talents and why they did or didn't work out, exclusively for PW Torch VIP members.
1: Searching for more great pro wrestling talk? Then join me, Jason Powell, host of the free weekly Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net along with other pro wrestling media members. Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps or visit us directly at PWBoom.com. Once again, that's PWBoom.com.
2: Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcasts? Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Pro Wrestling Paradise at Peter Torch VIP, as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the paradise, too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series, celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger. And our I Was There When shows, where our guests will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety, and you can expect lots of it at the ProRest Paradise. Detailed PW Torch VIP subscription information and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices, or you can stream them directly from our ad free vip mobile site see you in the paradise
8: wrestling fans are you that person that works in a pro wrestling reference to every aspect of your life well we're those kind of people too but we do so with mixed martial arts i'm robert viahos host of mma talk for pro wrestling fans every monday on pw torch's daily cast lineup not only do we cover every UFC and Bellator event, we provide context that only a wrestling fan would really understand. I mean, we're the type of people that if you ask us about how much of a mess the middleweight title situation is, we're likely to reference WCW in the early 90s. Think of us as a podcast for casual MMA fans done by hardcore wrestling nerds. And you can find us by searching PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or any popular podcast app. And we're always available on demand. At pwtorchdailycast.com, where you can check out the entire lineup of the PW Torch Daily Casts.
3: Now that it's summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready to eat meal kit. ...can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals, and you won't be sitting around waiting for that delivery to your front door or having to make a trip to the grocery store. If you're too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well, Factor is the answer. Skip that trip to the grocery store. Skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, too, while still getting flavor and the nutritional quality you need. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy, and then get back outside and soak up the warm weather. And if you get hungry in the middle of watching pro wrestling, well, during a video package, you can throw a factor meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, you're sitting down finishing the show, but with a meal you can feel good about eating i have loved having factor in my refrigerator i eat primarily a vegan diet and i love their options but they've got options for everybody including people who are on keto diets or people who are on no special diet there's barbecue sloppy joes jalapeno beef mac and cheese red pepper queso chicken italian sausage and sweet pepperonata i think that's how you say it ancho live salmon and more. The selection is exciting every week when you get to pick out the meals that you want. They'll auto-select meals for you that fit your category if that's easier for you. But you can easily customize what gets delivered to your house and even skip a week or two if you're going to be away or have a lot of dinner plans outside the house. It's so nice having these meals in the refrigerator knowing that they are dietitian approved nutrient-dense meals that are going to leave you feeling satisfied. I can speak from experience. When I have a factor meal, I don't even think about snacking for hours afterwards. That's how satisfying they are. But they've got calorie-conscious options, too, for this summer in case you're trying to lose some weight. And if you're trying to put on some muscle mass or gain weight, they have Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. If you've thought of going vegan but think it comes without taste or satisfaction, this is the place to start. My next delivery includes 3-bean vegan chili, vegan mushroom marsala, harissa, I think that's how you say it, braised garbanzo stew. The next week, my vegan options are peanut Buddha bowl, tomato-roasted vegetable risotto, smoked tofu almond stir-fry, and blackened tofu. Those are the meals I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. You can also round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with cold-pressed juices, shakes, smoothies, and more. So head to Factormeals.com slash Wade50. That's Factormeals.com slash 50. And use code Wade50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code Wade50 at Factormeals.com slash Wade50 to get 50% off your first box.
7: Longing for some nostalgia? Or maybe you want to learn some wrestling history? Don't miss the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Alex and Patrick will transport you 30 years into the past by taking you through the Torch issue from that very week. Follow news from the WWF and WCW and all the happenings from across the wrestling industry. In real time, as the Torch reported it 30 years ago. That's the 90s past cast every Friday for the PW Torch Daily Cast feed.
6: Aloha, Torch Faithful.
1: This is Kelly Wells, host of PWT Talks and XT. Every Thursday, you can hear me and my gang of idiots, Tom Staup, who shares thoughts from the live tapings, and Torch
4: recapper Nate Lindbergh, as well as a rotating cast of guests, cover the matches and events in NXT Live on USA Network. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts
1: or your podcast app to subscribe or listen on demand and see the entire PW Torch Daily Cast schedule at pwtorchdailycast.com. Cheers!
3: Thanks for downloading today's show. Take it to the next level with a VIP membership. Get shows like this, the Weight Killer Pro Podcast, Weight Killer Pro Post Show, and the PW Torch Daily Casts on our PW Torch VIP podcast feed with ads and plugs removed from the shows for a streamlined listening experience. And also hear the VIP exclusive shows that I host with Rich Fan and Todd Martin. Everything with Rich Fan and the fix with Todd Martin's signature VIP series that you're missing out without a VIP membership. So go VIP here in 2022 and enjoy all the benefits. All the bonus content and the ad-free listening experience. pwtorch.com/govip. slash Anytime you're watching WWE Raw or SmackDown or AEW Dynamite, in particular, send us an email if you've got thoughts on the show, or a topic you want us to address, or a question for us. Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. If there's anything else going on in pro wrestling that you want us to address on our main podcast during our mailbag segments. That same email applies. Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. We invite that interaction. Let us know what you think of what we're saying and let us know what you want us to talk about and ask us specific questions. Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. Support us on Patreon starting at $4.99. Get these shows ad free and bonus VIP content. That's $4.99 on Patreon. Patreon.com slash PWTorch VIP. That's Patreon.com slash PW Torch VIP. That is the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to support us and enjoy these shows with a streamlined listening experience. The Wade Keller post shows, podcasts, and the PW Torch daily casts, plus some random VIP bonus content. March through pro wrestling history with a PW Torch VIP membership throughout the week, every week, we jump back 18 years to our earliest podcasts. And you can march through our coverage of pro wrestling history with our contemporaneous coverage of all the major pay-per-views, Wade Keller hotlines with behind-the-scenes news, the Bruce Mitchell audio shows with in-depth current events analysis at that time, along with history lessons and strong opinions, the real deal with Pat McNeil with the Hot 5 Stories of the Week and the Indie Show lineup of the Week, and more. Go VIP and relive wrestling history or learn about it for the first time as we continue. To march through our 2005 library near the anniversary dates of when they aired 18 years ago on that date. To become a PW Torch VIP member, go to pwtorch.com/govip and sign up today.
5: Every Sunday night, catch Wrestling Night in America on pwtorchdailycast.com, hosted by me, PW Torch columnist Greg Parks. Each week, I'll welcome a co-host from the Torch family to discuss the big shows in pro-wrestling taking your calls and emails. You can listen live most weeks beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern.
3: Give yourself a reason to look forward to going to the mailbox each week with a PW Torch newsletter paper copy subscription. Details at PWtorch.com/slash papercopy. It's 12 pages every week, packed with my TV reports, along with exclusive features such as my cover story on the top story of the week, our pay-per-view roundtable reviews from the Torch staff, exclusive feature-length columns from Greg Parks, Rich Fan, Sean Radakin, Alan Cunahan, and Zach Haydorn, Torch Talk Transcripts, The Latest News, and more pwtorch.com slash papercopy. Take a break from screen time and settle in every week with a mega dose of wrestling news and analysis with a Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter paper copy edition in the year 2022. You can get a full year of home delivery for just $99. Or try us for an eight-week trial subscription. pwtorch.com slash papercopy.